This is our session number 100 of the Corona Investigative Committee in Berlin. When we started, Viviane and I initiated all of this together with Wolfgang Wodak, Dr. Wogart, and when we started with it, we didn't dream of taking so long as we did by now. We have to assume that the group of those who are still able to act, to put it that way, and maybe there will be a few more, um, and we do this show for them because a large part of those who have fallen for the psychoterror are not addressable anymore. But what we set up in resistance and what we have set up will by far be enough to do the rest of the path. All these flowers are not from me, but they are for us, for Viviane and me. Viviane is on the Zoom, like I was a couple of days ago from Kyrgyzstan, Kazakhstan. I don't remember. A very, very far country, but she's with us. And these flowers are from viewers and supporters. I would like to First of all, wonderful genius. I'm not, I'm a bit colorblind, but I can see that there's lots of different colors here. Just as the support that this uh, committee is getting, I appreciate very much and I'm very grateful. I wanted to show this card with the names of the people who sent these flowers. And I also want to say that um, we got flowers to my office and other presents. That is very, very nice. And um, we got loads of books, not only for this, but we get many books. And we've got many books about the last months and during the last months, uh, we can't read them all from front to back, but we have a look at all of them. I do that with the help of my wife, who has a bit more time than I do. When we were in India, this is a book I'd like to present. When we were in India, I had this book. This is still packed. I had a different copy. I read that, Ilde Gutja. It's uh, David against Goliath. Sounds a bit as uh, this is the situation that's being described. And this is about a doctor. The subtitle is A Work of Life, Dr. Max Oxerbuter and the story of the Association for Health Advisory. When I read this book, I thought we have to get into contact with him. What we hear is not really new, only in the in the um, uh, rapid way it is. Um, this is a very uh, popular doctor who only worked with natural me medicine, uh, who propagated good food. This is a bit simplifying it, but he said our immune system is the crucial point, and that's what we've got to keep intact in order to withstand um, illnesses by good diet and by movement. And I think most of the doctors agree with that, that 80% of our diseases can be cured with that. Very interesting. I read it when I was in India, and also very interesting to see how that person 
at the time was um, attacked by the industry, the sugar industry, by the way, because he says sugar is one of the worst poisons available. I think it's very, very interesting. Many, many other books, which I couldn't read all the way through, which I had to skim through. We want to thank you for this. So our 100th show is uh, what makes us enthusiastic to play the game down to the end and uh, hopefully make a major contribution to end these measures and uh, enable us to build up a new system. We should do this. My personal opinion is it's not worth looking into the collaborating and the collab collabing system, collapsing system anymore. Um, we should, as we've discussed with Wolfgang, set up a system in our new regions. There's going to be a big, big bang. And after that, um, everything will be better. That's my view. Viviana, do you want to comment on our 100th session as well? Well, actually, this is extraordinary that we are dealing with this topic for such a long time. And uh, back then, we thought we'd uh, deal with this for four to six weeks. But now we see that this has uh, extended over several months. And we always see new aspects. It's very important that we continue to pursue this subject until we have actually come to terms with what's going on here. And we also need to remain mindful. And uh, it's excellent that, uh, you know, mandatory vaccination in Germany as of 18 or XYZ uh, has now been toppled. But of course, this will crop up again either via the WHO regulations or EU standards or other endeavors. endeavors. So even if we get a new um, pandemic uh, uh, around the corner, I'm sure this will crop up again and it remains very important we will stay on the ball and therefore it's great that we continue beyond uh, session number 100 um, sometimes people write to us and we don't know what their agenda is but they say that we should um, crawl into some cave or you know land on the moon or whatever so drop our work but we won't do this we will persevere we will stay on the ball and uh, we will make sure that the persons will be called to task and um, that they won't uh, you know they won't be held unaccountable that's crucial. It's crucial to carry on and not think as apparently the reins are being lo let loose a bit. This is it. No, it's going to carry on. We are convinced of this. This is the silence before the storm. So we got to keep on writing and um, justice is not a keyword for us for me and viviana as lawyers it's crucial for everyone i think democracy without a working legal system is no democracy and uh, the um, democracy that fights back shouldn't be uh, referring to military power but to fight back against those who want to destroy democracy and 
for that we need a legal system which we don't have at the moment at least not in germany but i can take the opportunity to say that with the international colleagues from the grand jury proceeding we have agreed that in the us with the help of the american colleagues that hopefully already during the weekend corvin if you hear this make sure it's going to work um we can make sure that at least in some points in the US, complaints will be filed attacking the PCR test. We still are of the opinion, and even more so now, and I'll tell you in a minute why, um, we are of the opinion now, this is the source of all the bad, that the PCR test, however you apply it, can be used for diagnostic purposes. We've said this more than often enough. And as it's been used by Mr. Drosten, the professor and Drosten doctor, I leave that away because it's doubtful how that test was used by Mr. Drosten and um, uh, used as a blueprint um, for the other PCR test propagandists. It had to be false positive in its results. That means produce results that are the only reasons for the measures. And again, to sum it up, without the PCR test, there wouldn't have been cases without the cases, and the cases were mostly only wrong positives. And without the cases, it would not have been possible to announce the public emergency of international concern. And this, without this declaration of the pandemic, there wouldn't have been any measures, all measures, all measures exclusively based on the PCR test results, including the vaccinations. And only for the next vaccinations, they needed the cases because for that, they needed that public health emergency. And that's why we're attacking at this point. And we think and we're positive that we'll get that done with the American colleagues. Before we have a exclusive story that we want to report um, or an exclusive suspicion I'd like to say we have a short clip where an American senator I think quite rightly complains about the US American mothers um, wanting to protect their children uh, against the vaccinations qualifying them as terrorists I think this is what we should look at so that we get into the right mood um, to um, look at the suspicion that we have and have to put forward. Summarize this for the folks back home. We've got a bill here, as Chairman Nadler says, that's going to set up more bureaucracy to go after domestic terrorism, and that, that's probably a good thing. And Mr. Biggs has offered an amendment that says you can't use the funds that are going to be authorized in this bill to investigate, analyze, monitor, or prosecute any individual who's declined the COVID vaccine or expressed opposition to it. This should be, this is constitutionally redundant, this amendment. It is obvious on its face. And, but it's not being kicked out by the chairman or anybody else here for being non-germane because it is germane. This should terrify you. This amendment is germane to the bill because the FBI has already indicated that your opposition to taking the vaccine or to spreading information that might be true but the CDC doesn't agree with will qualify you to be targeted as a possible domestic terrorist. You're definitely a domestic terrorist. <laughs> so, listen, was when the CDC changed the definition 
of vaccination. They changed the very definition of vaccination. If somebody had the gall to point out that that goes against 250 years of medicine, of science, the redefinition of vaccination, should that make them a domestic terrorist? No. This, this amendment is spot on. The CDC has, has been involved in the past two years trying to cover up something we've known about for 10,000 years, natural immunity. What if you dared to say that I trust my natural immunity to protect me from the next infection of this virus? Should that, what if I dared it? Okay, maybe I have said that for two years. But that shouldn't make you a domestic terrorist, come on. Why would the Democrats be opposed to this amendment? I don't know. Some have, some have said, well, the language, it should, there should be a four where there's an and or something like that. Well, let's fix it then. Because the fact that this amendment is germane is terrifying. The fact that we even need to mention this amendment is terrifying. The fact that moms are going to be targeted as domestic terrorists because they think their five-year-old doesn't need the freaking vaccine because they've looked at the at the data and they don't they've seen that the flu presents more of a risk to their child than COVID does any of the variants does that make that mom a domestic terrorist what if i mean it's it's ridiculous the that that the democrats are even opposing this it should be adopted by unanimous consent if they have some problem with the language then let's fix the language, but let's not label moms domestic terrorists for saying they don't want their child to get the vaccine. Let's not label expecting mothers domestic terrorists because they say, I want to go ahead and have my baby before I get this vaccine. Because there's, this data's not been out there, this vaccine. By the way, it could just as easily say, you can't be, a, you can't be labeled a domestic terrorist by the FBI for refusing a medical treatment that only one of three corporations are allowed to provide in this country. With no liability. In other words, if you don't accept a medical treatment for one of these three giant corporations, then you could be a, you no could be a, a terrorist. Yes, and, there's, and this is the other thing. Joe Biden has said the, the only uh, industry that's immune to prosecution or, or immune to liability is the gun industry. That's ridiculous. They, can, they get sued all the time for defective products. But who doesn't get sued? Who never gets sued for a defective product? Who's got emergency use? Who's got the PrEP Act? The vaccine manufacturers. Yep. Does that make me a domestic terrorist for saying these facts? It shouldn't. And this amendment should be adopted. And I yield back the balance of my time. Senator Messi, who said, an MP actually, um, they always try to push forward and he fights it back, luckily, that there is intent to tell, the, to call people who don't want to get vaccine for their children, uh, qualifying them as terrorists. And he, he can't believe it, as he says, and he... Uh, refers to, as we know by now, these so-called vaccines are no vaccines at all, because these vaccines always have been medical treatment that make you immune. 
And this is precisely what the so-called vaccinations don't do, as the manufacturers themselves agree. They said they would in the beginning, and Fauci said this in the beginning. We have a short video for that as well, before we, um, which we look at before we go. Yeah. That are really quite effective, highly effective, virtually 100% efficacious. Okay, if he hasn't lied, he's just too stupid, so it's only possible that it's one of the, the two. So we saw the narrative change from 100% efficacy. We always see these two points that are being reviewed in clinical trials, efficacy and safety. So 100% efficacy to zero efficacy, you need a booster, another booster, another booster. What does this mean? It means that this stuff is inefficient. And that brings us to the topic. So instead of the efficacy, we have extreme danger. And by now, we know from serious sources, which we already mentioned, that in the US, about 500,000 people had post-vaccination uh, fatality or death died. Uh, similar systems uh, or similar figures are ubiquitous. We don't have the um, capturing systems. Well, Messi got very angry at these uh, figures. So it's absolutely ridiculous that you should be labeled terrorist or be persecuted by the FBI. Now, the thing is, in the meantime, side effects can no longer be ignored. In the meantime, side effects, partly also fatal side effects, have reached the mainstream and you can no longer ignore them. And we are speaking as lawyers here. And you need to see this in an overall uh, context. And at least you have the suspicion 
for us as lawyers that people will try to find another scapegoat for the side effects of the vaccination. And the side effects of the vaccination have been described again and again. Last but not least, Sherry Tenpenny, Florian Schilling, Professor Bhakti, Vodak, etc. Many other people who foresaw this, Brian Ardes was here who told us that the side effects and partly also unknown side effects were already known in October 2020 uh, to the CDC. And I mean, even un hitherto unknown side effects were known to the CDC. One of the most important CDC is the depletion up until the destruction of the immunosystem, and that becomes ever more clear. The big question is, how do they get out of this again? And, and how can they make sure that uh, mainstream uh, media don't identify this as side effects? We think that they will try to come up with an excuse and say, okay, we have HIV, HIV virus, you know, Bill Gates had, had this evil grin many, many years ago. Who said, and he said, well, they're up to a nasty surprise. And we were speculating, is he, is he talking about the Marburg virus? And we as lawyers, I mean, this time we are um, taking preemptive act action. And uh, we are, and we think that they won't blame an entirely new virus, but HIV. So why do we believe this? Why don't? Why do we have Professor Kemmerer, Ulrike Kemmerer, and Professor Wodak here with us? There are four or five different facts on which we can base our assumption. First of all, by now we know that the virus, more likely than not, comes from the lab. Uh, I don't know whether it's in Wuhan or more likely than not in one of the labs, uh, bioweapons labs in the Ukraine is uh, secondary. So, well, anyway, they manipulated it and people tried to make it more dangerous. And one point, which is very important here, I'm speaking as uh, a lay person. And back then, in theory, it must have been possible that they had inserts of HIV virus and the vaccination has the same. The vaccinations always also had um, HIV viruses inserted. And some people may recall in Australia after the so-called vaccination, there were a couple of reports that the so-called vaccinated people suddenly got positive HIV tests. Or so no symptoms, just positive HIV tests. And fourth aspect that we need to bear in mind here is that strangely enough for Moderna, which is actually a, a company which was chapter 11, which was on the verge of bankruptcy. But then there was this one uh, vaccination against COVID and uh, they became the shooting star. Now they have something else an HIV vaccination, they got an emergency use authorization. Why? Well, if you look at the total picture and say, well, you know, uh, you've got uh, HIV in inserted in the virus, in the vaccination you have a uh, virus inserted and we have false positive tests. 
and we have an emergency authorization for one vaccination. I mean, after all, for AIDS, AIDS is no longer an issue, or is it? And therefore, we take it that uh, as lawyers, we assume that uh, the counterparty now tries to use the side effects, the vaccination side effects, and we're talking about nothing else. Supposed to be blamed on somebody else, and this has to fail. I mean, now people are trying to use HIV as a scapegoat. We are saying this here and now because we want many people to look into this topic, especially scientists, physicians. But we think that this is an utterly plausible conclusion of the facts I just described. But anyway, I used layperson's language. Ulrike, you want to come in? Let me add something, please, before. Uh, from America, um, when we talked with the international lawyers of the grand jury proceedings, we found out that in America, there is laws underway that start an AIDS awareness campaign, and that will include testing to a large extent, a test program, and um, as I said, the uh, awareness campaigns. And what I noted when I talked to the victims of the vaccinations, um, whom we know personally, they went to the University of Marburg, and it was interesting to note that they got uh, drugs which uh, force inflammations instead of counteracting it. What was said all the time is, oh, you have to have a very really special autoimmune constellation or maybe the vaccination um, triggered a special autoimmune reaction. That is something where they all should be asked to come back and um, that uh, would be the idea if they test them and if they tested positive due to a vaccine um, there would mean they would find uh, someone to blame because normally uh, AIDS uh, is got in another way and uh, they can be infected and that can easily get to what was your life like, what's your lifestyle, and then you can um, blame the person themselves uh, instead of blaming the vaccine or uh, the autoimmune system that worsens due to the vaccination constellations. I think that is quite a number of aspects that could show a point in a certain direction. And that is why, as Rainer said, it's important that if anybody has any notes on this, also scientifically, it'd be very good if you got into contact with us um, that we can get that um, information and move forward. Ulrike, what can you add? Well, maybe um, very briefly, I'm just the fact presenter, and I'm sure there are many better scientists in the background who prepared this more detail. Now, Montagnier, in interviews, always said that after the booster shots, people are supposed to take their HIV test and, you know, stand and wonder. Now, actually, HIV is not similar to Corona, and it makes you wonder how how come he says this. Now, we always hear about the go-to-function uh, research and the cloning, the inserts. 
So if you combine different gene sequences, that uh, in theory it is possible. At the beginning, there was also research um, done by an Indian group, which was published on the 1st of January 2020. And then in February, it had to be retracted again, even though it's technically top notch. And back then, they even identified HIV sequences, sequences. And their labs, which can which can sequence sequence excellently, and um, here we um, they had a look at the vaccinations, uh, the leukine assets, uh, the modis modified uh, um, sequences implemented into a protein sequence, and they noticed that there are four so-called epitope motives and three of which are, f are from the GP120, and it's like the button of HRV. HRV has a button on the top, which allows it to dock onto the CD4 receptors, onto the cells, and then, uh, you know, affect cells. And three out of the GP120 uh, epitopes are uh, included in the sequences of the vaccines. Uh, let me share the screen. Now this is what I copied together. This is the University of Texas uh, work, and they showed uh, how this uh, spatial three-dimensional structure looks of the spike protein. Down here, it's in the membrane, the vi in the virus, and on the cell if it's formed on the cell. And, uh, you know, these are antibodies. This is the receptor domain, which allows it to dock onto the human cells. And these are the end terminals, which can create very effective antibodies. If you compare this to the sequences where the so-called HIV epitopes are located, these are the, exactly the ones, the three HIV uh, from the GP120 derived epitopes, and they are located precisely in that location where very many antibodies are formed. These cones are the HIV sequences. And that begs the following question. These epitopes are so conspicuously on the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein surface, and that means that people who uh, have this after the vaccination and also prepare an antibody response will probably also prepare antibodies against these epitopes. And in an antibody test, which is the first screen you do for an HRV infection, they would then uh, bear the risk that this uh, HRV test is positive. It's very important that people know this. You don't need to be infected by HIV. Um, but uh, through the similarity, through the protein segments, the, the so-called epitopes, 
there can be a response in the body which pretends as though you have HIV. And then if you do further diagnostics and then uh, you do a test for um, protein sequences of the HI test, so this would be negative and also the genome test for the HIV virus would be negative. Now the idea is if somebody gets a positive HIV test with antibody tests, they should know um, that if they went through several of the gene uh, injections, then don't panic, have further tests done. In theory, it's absolutely possible that this is the reason that I just described. And my call to the scientists is to take a closer look at that. And um, the call to Zahin, uh, to manufacturers, uh, is uh, uh, why is this included? What's the point? Why do you have a modified RNA, of course, which is very troublesome? Why do you have codes in there which bring a major risk of uh, producing antibodies in the, in the body, which uh, creates a mock HIV infection? For us as lawyers, that means the overall of image of these pictures, the insert sequences inside the virus itself, artificially put in. And second, the same sequences in the so-called vaccines. How's that? Artificially, can't happen by accident. Third, people who are vaccinated in Australia test positively and could fall into panic, oh, I have got AIDS, and then they found out, no, they don't have AIDS. And then the law on the um, awareness campaigns in the US, Viviana mentioned, and then um, for that uh, factual bankrupt country, that uh, company that only works with uh, uh, Corona get an EUA approval for an HIV vaccine. Altogether, from our point of view, that is enough to warn that this is going to be the next step of the other side to distract from the fact that a major side effect of the so-called uh, vaccination is the destruction of the immune system and now they try to find a space code uh, in terms of F uh, HIV. Uh, but as um, Ulrike said, don't panic. Well, do panic because it destroys the immune system. But don't panic if somebody tells you it's SIV, HIV. That is a pure fraud. That is simply a destruction of the extreme uh, risk of the so-called vaccines. And in this context, uh, I'd be curious to find out whether the children, which also got this uh, genetic manipulation, um, so what, what it looks like in children. So it would be curious to find out whether also an 8 or 10-year-old would have positive HIV test. The likelihood of that child having contracted the virus somewhere else is very low. So it would be interesting to find out what's going on there. Maybe people want to send their children to do a test, and that would be interesting for us. One has to make very clear that they have a shot um, that is uh, a gene 
technique experiments. Uh, it's not messenger RNA as, as natural, so that's the wrong wording here. It's an artificial RNA. Um, synthetically created in the laboratory, and this RNA um, is to um, provoke the human body cells to do something else. Um, the uh, natural MRR is makes something different. It doesn't create the same proteins as the corona proteins are, and the RNA um, it works uh, much longer and uh, does lots of different damage. It works inside the cells that it attacks the immune cells, the T lymphocytes. The T lymphocytes die and we get an immune damage. And uh, that is what this artificial mRNA does. And that's why people get uh, infections, they get herpes, they get the cancer coming back, which the immune system had kept down before. So the people who got this uh, shot of the mRNA, they have to expect the more frequently they get shot, the higher will be the risk that their immune system will be killed off. And that is a disease which uh, is known as AIDS. And there are other immune weaknesses. For example, um, if you're treated against cancer, sometimes the immune system is turned down or uh, you are treated against severe immune uh, diseases. That may be the same thing. These risks occur with the people who got this um, this RNI, this gene experiment, and underwent that uh, with the jabs. And this also leads to the p certain proteins which are created that look a bit like a part of the HIV viruses. And this fact, it's like um, if you uh, put a, a HIV hat on the corona spikes. And if you do a test now with antibodies and measure them, then it can be the case that the test that measures the HIV antibodies um, uh, recognizes these capped uh, spikes um, as HIV. It has nothing to do with HIV. So here, false positive tests will be created by this RNA, which is now injected into the people to protect against corona. And this is something that can happen. And it's very probable and likely, and that's what we've seen in Australia, that these HIV tests are positive in people who had no contact with HIV at all. And that is the answer to Viviana's question. Of course, children are going to test HIV positive. But by other tests, you can clearly distinct, distinguish whether it's really HIV viruses that triggers it. It's more complex as a series of tests that we have to do as they were done um, in order to show HIV viruses. And there is additional specific tests that can be used to do it. And uh, you can clearly say this was the jab and this was really HIV. And HIV is no problem anymore. It's been very rare. And I'd like to point out the HIV infections means that you pick up HIV doesn't trigger HIV by far. Uh, the disease is H. Uh, is 
HIV-AIDS. AIDS. And that's a bit similar to what we can get after the jab now. So that could be um, injected AIDS, so to say. Uh, but it hasn't got anything to do with HIV, and it's not a um, it's a side effect simply. And this is something that we have to differentiate, and I think it's very important. Maybe we have to repeat it uh, ten times for people to understand, because it's quite complex. And uh, because it's so important, Wolfgang, let me just say this in English. And. Uh, in cooperation and collaboration with the scientists and the doctors who are uh, helping us here as, as expert witnesses, we have come to the conclusion that the totality of the evidence that we can see, the irrefutable evidence, warrants a warning. We believe that very soon the other side will try to find a culprit for the destruction of people who have gotten the shots uh, of their immune system. The symptoms are very similar to what used to be called AIDS and what still is called AIDS. But here's the totality of the evidence. Here's why we think that this is what they're going to try and do to distract your attention from the fact that this is what the shots are causing. One, um, it is now almost common knowledge that the original virus was tampered with. Um, this is part of the gain of function experiments. Uh, uh, it is irrefutable. It, it is, it is uh, known that um, uh, HIV inserts are part of the virus. How did it get in there? Well, it can only have gotten in there because somebody did it. This doesn't happen naturally. Two, the, the uh, so-called vaccines have also these HIV inserts. Why did they do that? They have to explain it. Three, after the beginning of the vaccinations in Australia, people tested positive to AIDS. And then it turned out false positive. Four, there are if I understand this correctly, uh, if, if not, maybe Vivian is going to correct me, but uh, there are um, efforts underway in the United States, um, legislative efforts that are um, focusing on special awareness for AIDS. Why is that? We don't have any problem with AIDS right now. And five, and that is really important, Moderna has gotten EUA, that is emergency use approval for an AIDS vaccine, for an HIV vaccine. If you look at the totality of the evidence, and if you take into account that one of the most important results, one of the most important adverse effects of the so-called vaccinations, which as um, Wolfgang rightly pointed out, they're just genetic experiments. They have nothing to do with vaccinations because vaccinations make you immune against something and these shots certainly don't do that. Um, but if you take that, all of that into account and if you take into account that the most important adverse effect is the destruction of the immune system, then it is, it makes absolute perfect sense that the reason why they fiddled around with the HIV vi uh, virus and that they're now uh, trying to get HIV vaccines admitted can only be to divert our attention to distract us from the fact that the uh, shots themselves destroy the immune system. In other words, if you do, if after getting the shots, if you test positive to HIV, don't panic because of that.
but get yourself tested because there are ways to make sure that and to let you know that this is not AIDS, but rather vaccine-induced AIDS, if you want to call it that. Okay. Ich glaube, den Punkt haben wir rübergebracht, Wolfgang. Yeah, we just need to repeat it. It's not a virus. Just stay down to earth. Stay mindful. Yes, I'd like to add two things. Pfizer uh, creates or produces um, AIDS treatment um, drugs. So there's a direct profit motive here. Um, that would uh, be good if the people tested positively for tests and then um, they can make their money without treatment. And the second point is that it's interesting that Moderna um, with excellent speed were able to um, market this. How can they? <clears throat> How did they know this would be important? And one more point, and um, I'd like to address our community community with that who know that we that the jabs are dangerous of course the idea that the child could get hiv if you follow that narrative may even um, misguide people um, to go for an hiv vaccine so Keep your hands off that. Stay away. Um, there's lots of other stuff in it, probably. So stay calm, stay relaxed. Uh, it'll have different reasons. And, uh, I think it's so terrible that the vaccine manufacturers now do this. I mean, it absolutely destroys trust and uh, trust in an industry and we're supposed to trust them if we routinely have our chi kids vaccinated with these shots and i mean that's what the constant uh, vaccination committee rate suggests and uh, most people do and i'm completely confused and i don't no longer trust these cronies i don't know what's in there in this uh, vaccine and um, if they uh, just uh, trick around and um, put something in there that you don't know, and Paul Ehrlich Institute doesn't monitor this, nobody monitors what's in these uh, in these vials. So everybody, so all this trust has gotten down and has broken down, and it was so important, and uh, we can no longer trust the state controls and they no longer warn us, they no longer protect us, that's so terrible. And this is why I would be very suspicious uh, in terms of the shots. And, uh, you know, we have many studies which prove that they harm more than they benefit. ...of the uh, jabs are now being used for um, doing business, uh, doing politics, manipulators and controllers. Uh, restrictions uh, that at the end of the day we're supposed to come up with an immunity certificate to prove that we were obedient and um, if we don't play ball we'll just be penalized. I mean what's 
going on here? Uh, I mean, how can politicians be manipulated in that way? And uh, I mean, it's vultures out there. They just want money and power and control over human beings. It's terrible. And it's terrible that they know how many money we have, what we buy, where we get ill, where they can earn money. They always wanted to do this, but up to now we had the government protect us. Now they longer do, no longer do this. Yeah, that has stopped. The basic problem is that in all of these institutions, and that doesn't apply to Germany only, it applies to the whole of the world, that all these institutions that are so-called state protecting us, uh, we can't trust them because uh, they have been infiltrated. Private-public partnerships is a hostile takeover of the public institutions by private companies, and they have been taken over, and that's why we can't trust them anymore. We have to trust ourselves. As I repeat again and again, and Rothbank has said, we have to build up our own system. This system is breaking down and it won't take too long. We have to um, stick to our time schedule. Well, one thing I want to mention, maybe somebody want to add something. There is another um, a report coming in from Dr. Brian Ardis, whom I'm very fond of, a very engaged doctor, committed doctor in the US. He pointed out, and he's not the only one, there's a couple of more. I think Italian scientists as well who went into this, uh, he pointed out that there's evidence that this is not a virus um, at all, but it is a poisoning, um, which is uh, not contagious. That's quite typical for poisonings. How that happened, we don't know, but it uh, seems to show that here we have something like um, snake poison, which can produced in massive amounts synthetically. You don't need snakes for that. We don't know what's behind that yet. That's why we just want to mention it here because that is creating the headlines. Um, one of the interviews is on my Telegram channel as well, I think. But at this point, we just want to point it out. We we do think it's important that everyone who can still take action because they can still think and are fully subject to the mainstream media information, um, be aware and vigilant about this HIV uh, story that what we believe is they use it only and exclusively to divert us from the uh, fact that the uh, vaccines harm the immune system. Let me just recap. So, undoubtedly, the proteins that we create as spike proteins are toxic. They are toxic, uh, like snake uh, venom is a, pro is a toxin and uh, that we vaccinate. What we formulate ourselves is toxic and what others uh, notice that we have uh, similar effects between what we create ourselves to snake venom is very disconcerting indeed. 
And I mean, the RNA is actually uh, created to um, produce these kinds of venoms inside ourselves. Now maybe you can research and find out uh, why, uh, how come? So maybe they didn't just put the cap on the spike protein, uh, but also included a level of toxicity, which is usually incorporated in snake venom. Is something we need to look into. This is very important. And I wouldn't be concerned if uh, that people put this in the water. I think it's rubbish that uh, this would then poison our environment. But we are vaccinated with this, and then we produce the toxins ourselves. And if they are similar to snake uh, venom and have a similar effect in our brains to snake venom, then this is really disconcerting, and we really need to look into it. And um, because we uh, have the side effect uh, database, we know that there are individual batches that were very toxic and others where nothing happened. Let me repeat, here we have a massive experiment going on. I'm firmly convinced that uh, no holds bar or no, uh, yeah, anything goes and uh, I know that the research of toxins in order to deal with cancer and other things is going really seeing a heyday. Uh, so, I mean, they try to use venoms that uh, exist in snakes and uh, harness them in order to block certain receptors in our bodies. This is where people are paralyzed and, uh, you know, this is the consequence. And that has neurological defects then. And we have snake venom, which is already uh, used in order to coagulate blood during surgery. And if you produce it in your body, then you get coagulation in our body. So we need to look into this. Okay, we couldn't think this completely through yet, because this is very new. If what Dr. Aim Brianardis and other Italian scientists uh, say, if that can be verified, it means that all measures that have all ever been taken have been completely nonsensus. And if it is a poisoning, it can't be transferred. Everything to stop the transfer, masks, lockdowns, social distancing, wouldn't be anything else than a disciplinization and conditioning of the people towards total control. But we'll look into that, and surely we're going to talk to Dr. Ardis. We are in contact with him, and surely there's other scientists going to be talking about this. At this point, we can't say much if I didn't get you completely wrong, Wolfgang that it is plausible. Yes, many things are plausible. And, uh, you know, some is uh, constructed, but there's something to it and you need to look into it. The story with the water is a wrong interpretation, I guess. Brian Nardis said he doesn't expect this to be spread through the water, but is found in water because that's where it's measured. I remember. Um, in the swine flu, I said uh, we need to rule out that the Novartis uh, vaccine produces cancer. It wasn't ruled out. In uh, the build, uh, there was a newspaper headline where it said uh, here it is cancerogenous. But here, there is a clear need for 
further research. And here we always have the preemptive uh, principle. Viviana, you wanted to say something and you were cut off from wherever you are. Yes, I wanted to come in very briefly. Let me just double check in terms of HIV. As a matter of fact, if I contract uh, HIV naturally, then you have a certain incubation period or a certain course until AIDS uh, manifests itself, until your immune system has been uh, reduced. But here we have people getting lots of symptoms, herpes and other cancer explodes. And um, this could be another indication of the fact that it's not possible that, you know, just as a coincidence or whatever, people contracted HIV AIDS. Because in terms of the timeline, it's it, it doesn't tally, is that right? Well, the point is that people have a poor immune system and then somebody starts testing and the test is wrong positive. At the HIV at the time, um, there was a lot of testing going on and some were positive and they didn't fall sick. I um, worked in that place for uh, years and uh, did the consultation and I know patients who never got sick. Uh, by the way, these are the ones who didn't take any drugs. Okay, brings us back to the topic. Anyway, we need to continue, otherwise uh, um, we're uh, falling behind schedule. Jimmy Verung is waiting. Jimmy Verung will tell us something about a video which we saw a minute ago. Um, pushing the so-called efficacy of the vaccines. So out of the 100%, you got virtually no efficacy. So you need the booster, the third, the fourth uh, shot. And, uh, you know, that's just ridiculous. It has been unveiled as a lie. And unfortunately, the narrative, the entire, you know, ridiculous word, the entire narrative was spread by the mainstream media. Now let's get to Jimmy Gerum. He is the um, initiator of Leuchtturm ARD. He also produces uh, feature films, uh, After Father in the Jungle, as Father Feet Feel Carried and the wall. This is where he was a production manager. He will produce, uh, present Leuchtturm ARD, which is a collaborative movement that wants to um, put pressure on public pro broadcasting to force it to fulfill its political, political educational mandate. And the goal is a media place of orientation that makes us become politically mature citizens and thus creates a humane, mindful and uh, grassroots society of the future that is based on democracy. And uh, they also have a website which offers an introduction to a payment moratorium. Mr. Gerum, can you hear us? Perfect. Great. Unfortunately, you're mute. You're muted. Thank you for the invitation. Hello. So tell us what's happening here. And uh, for months, many people, so for two years, many people have been saying, do we need the public broadcasters? Why do we pay for them? Because if we don't get anything but, uh, you know, false and misleading news and messages, 
Well, you've just said so. The public institutions in general have are effective. Uh, and um, unfortunately, or sadly, we watched this for decades, especially the public radio that we uh, fund with over 8 million euros per year that uh, we got that taken from our hands. And that's the paradox and in all of this, which had uh, triggered us to finally demand our right that uh, we can only do in a collective movement because over the past years, there have been approaches that the public um, broadcast uh, is not contemporary or wrong. But as it was in the past two years against human life, against any reason, um, the irrationality of this was not interested to anybody. Um, that means the public broadcasting services um, are completely uh, paralyzed and we especially in the time where we have excellent news portals in the internet on the internet so our dear approach is to connect connect these two worlds uh, get the real fake capable independent journalists all the facts have to be put in the discourse and this discourse is not allowed and that is done by our own public broadcast services and um, that is something that uh, we can't stand anymore and we are going to fight against that well, the destruction of the initial mandate uh, you said it a minute ago, there are opportunities indeed to get your hands on real info information, but not on public broadcasters, but in alternative media. Do you really want to link this or do you want to, this journey to go somewhere else? Um, so from my point of view, uh, a system that is utterly destroyed, do you think we should do repair it or do you think, uh, you know, fuck you, we do something new? Well, this is a point of criticism, saying uh, do away with all the public uh, broadcast services. But we are rather on the side of a unification process because we do see the extreme importance of a public radio service as it was in originally intended. We need a, a point of orientation. That's why we're talking about a lighthouse initiative here because we are in a frame in the context of information that we can't trust on where we don't have the competency to check up and verify it all. So we need competent journalists. And on the internet, um, there are independent journalists who have come forward because they don't believe in the public discourse anymore, and they are banned from that. And uh, this, that, this is even they call themselves public service and balanced is really cheeky. And uh, the process of unification, because um, there is only one uh, way to talk about it. Um, they say people have say should let's do our own uh, eight o'clock news do something with crowdfunding but we'll only reach our own people with that those who are informed anyway and who want to go into the discourse the independent scientists as well as the independent journalists they all meet up on the internet and uh, for two years they have been discussing and we never reach anybody out there there's 80 percent of the people who are completely um, have no idea of what we're talking about here 
and we can only do that by getting into the eight o'clock news as i have uh, said in a rally on the streets the we have to make the eight o'clock news to get on our sides we pay them that's why we have to work for us we have to open the debate in space or instead of closing it well it's very undiplomatic what we're seeing for the last two years the iron touch uh, with people uh, from the public sphere who are prepared to talk so from the public broadcasters who are prepared to talk because we have we know there are quite a few insiders who know that we can't continue like that i mean they are really few and far in between who are prepared to you know speak out of course, that's a problem. We have a system of dependencies. The employees are controlled by fear, just as the general citizens are with the same framing. But there are intense uh, intentions to go for a whistleblower platform. There are some courageous people or retired um, reporters and uh, editors who dare to share their criticism. But the reason why this is only a few is the systematic problem. We have a systemic problem of the legal system. Both pillars completely failed. And this is why we have to uh, work on several levels if we want to stand a chance as uh, civilians here. A very important point is that um, we also regionally and locally implement the world that we think of. We want to have a world of general benefit for everyone and a liberated public service leading to discourse will only lead to a free democratic society and that will lead to a disempowerment of the international geopoliticians politics interests and the global corporates and a focus on the people's interest and we can do that in parallel to our work in freeing um, the uh, broadcast services. We work with organizations like helper.org and uh, Powerful Together Now. These are initiatives that work on local levels um, on helping the people that are in distress now. And we have to find a new common sense here. And uh, we expect the public broadcast services to foster this, to focus on the positive things of our society. and. Uh, showing the pride in the development. Instead of that, we are alien controlled by people spending hundreds of billions. Um, that is a uh, status that has to be kicked out and finished. And we have been working for this for three months. I'm confident uh, that this will end this year. Of course, it's difficult to fix a date. You don't have a crystal ball. But I'm confident that we are really reaching the point very quickly and uh, things will improve afterwards much better. But so that, that means the main approach is that one of the mandates which public broadcasters have uh, is not just uh, enlightenment, but it's also assistance. Uh, you mentioned common sense or public polity. Now, maybe it makes most sense to actually contact those people if you can reach out them who really need help. I mean, the vaccination victims, many people who are isolated, who are left alone, who feel they are the only ones in the world who are are nay to the world, so to speak. Um, 
you don't need to, uh, you know, look so far as to Shanghai, to the terrible situation. But I mean, here we also had a similar situation with the older people who died uh, in isolation. Their family uh, members could not be present. And that's an extremely high price. Is that the foot in the door you want to get? I mean, do you, is this what you say? This is the help, the assistance uh, which can be preferred and where you reach out and say, look, uh, the 40% who have, uh, you can still be reached, you can contact us, you can inform yourselves, get help. Quite right, quite right. There is an initiative only for victims of uh, children of the measures. We have to do exactly that. We have to connect the people with the psychologists and we uh, do not focus on profit, uh, but we work for each other in our communities, at village levels, on uh, quarter levels in the cities. Uh, there is positive development in all of this. And uh, for the large strategic goal, um, this is a massive corporate that we're working against here. Although it belongs to us, they have bunkered themselves up. And we really have to set up a broad alliance. And um, the independent scientists have to get involved just as the independent um, editors on the internet. We can only do it together. And uh, we need the um, uh, walkers in the uh, night um, and the rallies on the streets because their courage has inspired us. And it's still the villages, the cities are full with people who are protesting against this. And we all have to stand in for our rights now. And it's our responsibility. You quite rightly say that it's not everyone. <clears throat> everyone knows what's going on. We don't know. Most of them don't know what we are discussing. They don't believe anything because they want to invest the time. And they have been framed in such a way that they can't help but uh, watching that news and uh, not watch the internet and not look at in the internet. So we have to get out of the bubble. And um, we are working on doing that. Get into the live media and be discussed there. Every time oh, when I take a cab, and uh, that's at least once or twice a week, so I always notice the cab drivers are really informed and uh, they don't specifically say, well, I watch the committee or watch children's health defense, but they have other sources. Nonetheless, cab drivers don't know how dangerous this stuff is. They don't trust it, but they don't know how dangerous this is. And uh, they don't know that in the final analysis, uh, um, you know, it's going to be either thumbs up or thumbs down on somebody's survival. And uh, that's the kind of uh, level of information we want to get uh, to the uh, reachable 40% uh, still out there. What can we do specifically? Can any one of us do anything specifically in order to reach that goal? The good thing is, um, we haven't just described this four-step way um, on our website to do uh, for self-empowerment. 
And um, we have to get the courage to do that. We have to um, get that proceedings and saying we are not paying our fees anymore if that public service is not on our side and if it doesn't fulfill its contract. But the same way as we explain that there, we also explain of what did they not report over the past decades? Where did they misinform us? Many people don't know about that to the extent. And um, that means the website was built for enlightenment, uh, for the way how to proceed at leuchtturmird.de is the German website. And uh, the good thing uh, what we've installed is an independent community where we actually uh, put into place that in that point where we want to be a point of focus for people who need help and where psychologists um, can um, get into contact with victims and people can help each other. So uh, this is something where on a regional level um, that is going on in every federal state that's going to be carried on digitally that we network and that we speak one language because we have a right on this um, and if we look into the history and that's a great great uh, challenge to the public services that there is no enlightenment if we had reviewed 2014 we wouldn't have a ukraine crisis now and the same applies for the health crisis we are not explained the things that are going on and this leads to escalation in any case so we know that uh, we have to go outside of the bubble we have to be optimistic we want to share joy and uh, fun by helping each other and uh, we see that we are not powerless that is the main message we can do something and i think that's so great can i ask something Please go ahead. Go ahead. Um, you talk about reconciliation or unification, and I do think that, uh, you know, public broadcasters, if they work the way they were supposed to work, then, uh, of course, they make perfect sense. But I don't understand whether, you know, when you're talking at people who are editors-in-chief of magazines, etc., and, uh, you know, they were led up the uh, wrong track or maybe even due to their own economic objectives because they wanted to remain in the system or ever. So they're so entangled in this whole business. So with these people, is it similar? Same goes for judges. I mean, they act unconstitutionally uh, in their rulings right now. So is it possible that we have the same people who are, um, you know, turncoats? And then uh, will be believable? Is it possible to work with these people in the same system? Uh, so it will be the same people reading different news, suddenly reading out the truth. And uh, I'd have a difficult time in believing these people and, uh, you know, wondering whether they can be corrupted again. I think maybe it, probably it should be other people. Yes, that is an impression that one may have. Um, uh, Patricia Schlesinger um, got an ultimatum 
We want a dialogue with the delegation and we want to test whether they are ready to talk. They are people who have families and they know what happened over the past decades and they know what happened over the past two years. And so uh, the readiness to talk is the core point. And we also know that these people are influenced by international newsrooms. Um, the journalists are not allowed to check other agencies that are contradicting the German the uh, Western narrative. So we know the intensity of the effect and we know uh, that 100% of the uh, many uh, authors believe in 100% of what they write. They're not all blackmailed. They believe in it. And that is a mass psychologic hypnosis which is uh, going on for years there. And that is why it's going to be interesting to see how that dialogue is going to take place. But we have to force them into a dialogue and if uh, the, the way is the target here the objective uh, going there and if we find out that that uh, uh, crusted um, uh, apparatus rather works against the uh, civilians and um, likes to carry on promoting the war losing all their humanity um, then we will have to react to this as civilians but I do still have a hope that, um, because I say these are human beings, and I expect Mr. Schlesinger um, to uh, look beyond the fence. I think she gets 500,000 euros per year to have a little bit of horizon. And if that horizon also means that she knows what the international uh, press rooms did over the past decades. I do hope that uh, um, this will happen, indeed. I'm looking at the judiciary. I'm a better judge of the judiciary than the media, uh, than of the media. And in the judiciary, I think maybe 5% and probably not more. That's my guesstimate. We have 5% who are prepared to put up a fight for the constitutional state. But uh, uh, this is still a mix of stupidity, blackmail, and corruption in the broader sense. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, where you have blackmail, oh, if you don't play ball, your career is going to end. So stupidity, corruption, and blackmail is pervasive, is widespread. And I do doubt or I do suspect that in the public broadcasters it's not different because they had enough time to replace the leadership team and uh, infiltrate even maybe also a few levels beneath the top level. So when I studied, it was clear the people who were about to become judges were the super, um, you know, well adapted and uh, it was clear it's part of the judiciary which is completely broke. Now it's like a cancer which has spread and you have no longer anything left apart from the 5%. Uh, so uh, do you think if that's the case with the media, it's enough, 5%? Well, first of all, there are statistics on this. 5% is enough to change society. Our secret is that we have to remove our own narcissisms and uh, f fight 
in a single front line and uh, look uh, at the strategic goal that we uh, want to have a platform of discourse because we are an unpolitical movement. We don't want to fight about the political ideas. We want that uh, quarrel to go on, the discussion to go on where it needs to in a media platform for eight billions of people. And that's a guiding uh, principle. And I have to say, we depend on the quality of the time. It's a historical movement, what uh, has been going on for three, four months in the uh, walks of the street. And if um, we could free our own broadcasting services, we are the three countries, uh, Germany, Austria, and Swiss Switzerland are in the same position as we are, that we have an affected uh, um, broadcast services. And we depend on this historical change to take place now and that um, the time is in our support and that with that we'll get to get the f power that has grown from the rallies in the streets in a weekly basis and that they make it clear to the people who are responsibility that we are looking at the change they can't evade. That's the power that we have to develop because it's 270,000 people now that have gathered. Uh, that is nothing. It's not enough. And uh, uh, it's our task really to form and to develop the ability to get the international interests. Um, we work with the same methods on media and networking. That is what we have to do with the same weapons. We are also networking now, and we will have to take a media platform to enlighten the people, to make us politically adult civilians, and that is our right, and we need that now. And we'll have to fight uh, and hope that 22 is the right word. Wait year for it. Yeah, it's the right year for this. I'm sure we will have the tipping point very soon. I'm firmly convinced. Well, we said a minute ago, if we were to note uh, at Viviana's question, uh, to note that they lost any semblance of humanity, then we need to draw consequences. And uh, consequences would be a payment moratorium on the fees, public fees? We've stopped paying anyway, because it's criminal what they're doing. We have filed a suit last week. We have uh, made applications. Uh, which we are sending out in thousands to all broadcasting services. Um, more and more things are coming out on a daily basis, um, how the framing is done in the Ukraine crisis. So there is no way to look for a peace process if the citizens don't take over responsibility. And if they had lost all the rest of their humanity, uh, if we had bio-robots here, if it were that bad, then we can only do the collective 
collective movement. We have to become so many, and you say 5%, 10%. It is more than that who know that nothing, uh, not all is okay in Germany. And Germany is at the center of Europe, and Europe is affected here. The world is affected by this Western narrative, which has been nourished over the decades, not only for two years, in full violence, attacking the people and the different countries. And if we don't stand up now, then uh, we are looking into a very bleak future. I don't believe in that. I believe in a bright future. Uh, well, I believe in a bright future, too. And uh, I think that's the most important thing that you're saying here. We need to make a contribution towards that. Either by coming up with an alternative to the public broadcasters or through a cooperation between both worlds. We need to make a contribution towards coming out of the depression, which unfortunately has uh, captured many people. We shouldn't underestimate that. And uh, we should become aware again of the fact that there is a reason to be happy in life, but not under these circumstances. And this is why we need to change the circumstances. You can definitely make a contribution to that. And you made headway. Did I understand that correctly? 270K in your movement? 270,000 people who stopped paying. And we want to be at least a million to really put pressure on them. But you've said something very important. Heart and brain have to go together in this. Of course, we have to have a strategy, but we have to put our heart into it. We have to be there for the people. And that is what uh, is going to make the fun in it. Uh, that on the regional level, um, we've got great initiatives. Heart for People is being established now. So lots of initiatives that directly now uh, take care of the worries of the people with the different concerns that they have. And that is something that we stand for and where we can show that we take over responsibility and by that uh, show the privileged at the top what they should do. Um, you don't have to have any good political uh, education to understand if you don't pay the nurse more, uh, something is wrong. Um, that's not a health crisis if the um, uh, nurses get the same money as two years ago. You don't need any political uh, saviness about this. Um, the people who take the decisions who do not do that for the general benefit, um, not for the people, and we put up with this for much too long. Well, I think what's so nice, uh, nice, uh, quote, unquote, in the crisis is that the counterparty in Chinese, you have the same uh, icon for crisis opportunity. That's exactly the consolation. We have a crisis, but uh, for the first time, it's a window of opportunity. Many people can wake up. And uh, we witness this on a daily basis. Many people see what's going on. And also the strollers, there's more and more people taking to the streets and going on rallies. 
And uh, now, uh, you know, suddenly it's become so blatantly obvious to people. I mean, in the olden days, you notice, I mean, sometimes something fishy, etc., with, uh, you know, incubator lie, uh, Iraqi allegedly killing babies in incubators, and uh, uh, people knew this was a lie. But, I mean, the level of uh, lies unveiled are incredible right now. The vaccinations, the uh, mm, activities uh, that are a slap in the face of humanity, the bre uh, breaches of constitutionality, and it's not just in any old banana republic, but it's right in the heart of our society, and everybody can see what's going on. So for the very first time, we have an opportunity to see that the reporting is wrong. And uh, I mean, maybe in the olden days, I was not quite as aware because I wasn't aware of the structure in the country. But suddenly now we have the window of opportunity for people to have an eye opener. More and more people jump the bandwagon of this enlightenment and take the necessary consequences, no longer want to play ball. So they want to change the system. And another footnote. And when we talk about the fact that we need a different uh, legal system, maybe different broadcasting system, then that doesn't mean we want to change the constitution or introduce a completely new jurisdiction or different laws, but it means we want to fix what's wrong uh, with our system. After all, what's written in the constitution and that we get this back. It's very, very important that we are all aware that uh, we, we are the people who stand up for democracy and the rule of law and the constitution and defend this. And we do see that the other side is absolutely trying to destroy all this. And uh, I hope with your help that will be explained to the people who are scared now and are in panic and do not know what to do. That has to be made uh, clear to them. Maybe in your way, you, uh, Mr. Gero, will uh, reach the people. I hope so. And I hope that many more people will stop paying their uh, fees for the broadcast services because what they do produce until now is just bullshit. And um, by that, we've got a legal um, expertise by Professor Dr. Martin Schwab, not only looking into the public broadcasting services, but um, the mainstream media uh, in general, this was created um, on the basis of the absurd framing of Wolfgang Vordak, Dr. Vordak, but that uh, is a very, very sound basis for the overall rottenness of that system, all due to the fact that certain circles, in particular Bill and Melinda Gates Foundations, others as well, George Soros, with their massive amounts of money, uh, Compromising these mainstream media. Yes, I completely agree with Ms. Fisher that we have to be grateful for this crisis because this escalation leads exactly to a process which will um, move us out of the dumbness of our uh, life. <clears throat> and that is what we need to get into change. We need the courage of the people. And sometimes only that's only possible by pain, unfortunately. And that has increased over the past two years. There are 
There are, in the broadest sense of the word, um, beyond the public uh, broadcast services and mainstream media, on the side of the artists, do we have people who are ready to publicly um, speak out, or are they so afraid and that nobody is visible anymore? Well, the scaring is massive. There's very, very few people who are ready to step forward. It's not only the economic pressure, it's the psychological pressure as well, that people are excluded. This has nothing to do with uh, free democratic basic values. Um, this is an avoidan avoidance of discourse. This is just a shut-up policy everywhere, and um, everybody is grateful for every single person, like uh, Ulrike Gero, who um, uses her common sense and shows it. If more people were doing this, things would be easier. And uh, I hope that we get to that point in the next uh, weeks and months, um, that more and more people uh, get courage, even if they are economically dependent. This is about the future of our children. It is not um, about our present time uh, and improving that. This is our future, what is at stake. And uh, we see um, what they do in the East. Somebody says there's no peace in Europe without Russia, and there will never be. And uh, as for the case that um, they have been provoking for 20 years, we'll get the return now. And if we as citizens don't stand up now, we're going to get even more power to these people over the next year because with their digitalization, they get more and more means to do that. That's why the time has come to really take up our on our responsibility. Well, uh, the uh, destruction of the public discourse is probably the main problem. You mentioned it. Mass formation, Matthias Desmond, uh, um, uh, he is now known uh, to many other people, the especially Americans, Dr. Robert Malone, Peter McCullough quotes him. And then there's a second big problem, apart from the mass formation, the psychoterror is the transport uh, vector or the tool. Uh, transportation vector is mainstream media public broadcasting, most notably. Is there anyone? I think you answered the question. I mean, even if you can't. Is there anyone who is in, in a very prominent position who speaks to you and where you can say, well, there's still hope? Or do you think that those in exposed positions uh, are beyond repair? I mean, Viviane is friends with somebody in high places, I think. Where there is some word undercover, so to say, and the structure is encrusted and destroyed in many, many areas. It's the economic side, um, how to use 8 billion Euro euros for such a colossus in as times of today. Uh, that needs a reform in itself. And uh, on the different levels, there are different people who um, criticize that internal situation, which we've had over the past years. Um, at the moment, we are looking at a historical change that we need 
that the public service also takes over the political responsibility, not only for us as a company to um, be completely um, uh, ruined, um, but I do hope that we have a zeitgeist here to help us. I hope that uh, we uh, head down a path um, which I do see that the uh, movement grew a lot over the past three months, that we're just uh, uh, about to reach the uh, main media. I see that journalists in the main media start to be more courageous. Uh, two, three months ago, I talked to people um, who said, I don't dare to do that. And uh, uh, there is um, incredible powers in the back going on uh, beyond going the imagination of everyone the academia the uh, universities everybody's under pressure that is not worth a democracy what has been going on in the past years but um, I've uh, looked at geopolitics and history over the last seven years and that's why I know the hundred, last 150 years very no, very detailed and if you look at the details over the last 150 years you don't wonder why the situation developed as it did. And that's a great lack um, that the public uh, radio never accomplished, uh, accompanied this, that they never criticized what was going on, but they went along with the power structures in the background. And by that, they have become less and less a fulfiller of their task to be there for the citizens. And now, it looks like a historic change that is um, unthinkable because we are so much used to the apparatures that we are stuck in with. This is why I kick out a lot of things. And there is no reconciliation. We all have to go to Den Haag. But we don't want to start a war here and no civil war either. Um, we want to have a peaceful future and uh, we have to appeal that the scientists um, get out of their strings, um, like Professor Mull, who we work together with. Also, as far as the future um, broadcasting services are concerned, and at the Munich University, we worked out a book in a conference, how public services should be controlled by uh, control and transparency, how to make that possible. And uh, all of that is for the roundtable of the RID, the German television uh, prepared. And we're going to looking forward to the first discussions and we see if there is some humanity left. And that will be decisive. But uh, I think you mentioned something that is very important. And uh, that was already told us by other media or creative industry worker, the acceptance of, of the media worker. So we of the mainstream, so we almost reach it. Uh, I mean, less people uh, look at mainstream uh, media and look for information elsewhere, not only since Corona. That means mainstream media were dying anyway, to put it that strongly. And uh, I don't know who it was, but somebody told us on the committee there was a survey conducted a couple of years ago. Viviana will be able to give you the precise details. There was a study of a poll 
Concerning how much do you trust mainstream media and 88% of all people, it's a few years ago, had virtually nil confidence in mainstream media. And then an, an agency came in and uh, they saw it as a success. They uh, said that, uh, you know, 80% distrust in media was turned into 60, and that predated Corona. I think now it's almost 100% distrust. But just because we're creature of habits, people play ball. But you have a huge potential with your movement, and everybody amongst us has a huge potential if you want to create a new public broadcasting company. It surely is. Um, this is really the, the weak point of these structures, <clears throat> because the media are the key, especially the fact <clears throat> that we pay for them themselves. So we can't talk to the Spiegel, but we can talk to our own broadcasting services, and that's an important point which are public. And um, of course, this is only a section of what you say. Um, uh, the Gutenberg in University in Mainz has a study, a poll on media trust um, every year. And um, that's different figures. The first uh, breakdown was in 2014, um, that people noticed that uh, <clears throat> things are going wrong in the reporting that the RD is doing propaganda, that was pushed away with a lot of arrogance. And then they talked about 25% of the people who had lost the trust in the 8 o'clock news. And typical for a crisis in April 2020, the trust uh, increased a lot because everybody wanted to know what was going on with Corona in 2020 April. And everybody watched the news. So there was an upward trend here quite clearly. That's the case, of course. But here, we are working with media who have the information authority. And that is why I always say, don't uh, concentrate on doing an alternative. We are uh, in a bubble in the independent media. If we do our own news, we only get to the 20% um, or have a very, very slow growth potential. And we don't have potential and time for that. Uh, in our We need our media really to extend the information authority to 60 and 70 percent informing these people with the discourse which does exist people don't know that a mr bhakti has arguments they don't know that a dr gunza has arguments for what they say over the last decades and the origin of the Ukraine crisis. The people are not informed. And it's really, it's dramatic. Um, I have one of the leading media lawyers, and I talked to him, um, that I know from my time as a film producer. He has no idea. It's incredible. A media lawyer doesn't even know multipolar or Rubicon uh, news uh, rooms. He's never heard there's news rooms in the internet. He doesn't know what uh, all of that is he's one of the leading lawyers in Munich. And so we are working in parallel worlds here, incredible. And um, if you get into these other worlds. Exactly. And uh, 
That's why it's all the more important that, I mean, you always mention the group 60, 70 percent, and maybe it's only 40 percent you can speak to if you um, think along the lines of Matthias Desmond, there's 30 percent you can't beyond reach. Uh, but it's worth putting up the fight for the others uh, and become at least as loud and as visible so they have a port of call if they want amongst us. From my personal view, it's um, too tedious, it's a waste of time mostly to run after them. But if we uh, become clear enough in our broadcast and in our message uh, that you, we have something to offer that you don't only can just get information, but you can also collaborate with us then uh, that proposition allows us to reach people. I think it's almost utopian, uh, Mr. Gerung, but maybe it's not. We can reconcile both worlds. It's worth a try. Mr. Gerung, I agree. It's worth a trial. <clears throat> I want to say something. Um, I think uh, I really like it that uh, we we have the genesis of lots of media portal, and I don't believe that we don't need alternative uh, broadcasts and news broadcasts. I think we need lots of them. I think it's uh, you're doing an important step, and also in the advisory, because I think. Um, it creates a momentum, an awareness for the issues at stake, but on the other hand, we have an awful lot to lose. In the final analysis, as you know, it's one thing whether you take them to court, uh, but uh, the, uh, losing the monopoly to interpret things, they lose everything. Yes. They will lose everything, and uh, of course, also their own what's going on. And I could imagine that they will fight back until the end and try to uh, carry on doing their thing. That has to be done in parallel, and it can be done in a way that the people who set up these alternatives will be integrated in some kind of uh, public radio service and get support from there as well. So I think there can be synergies, but uh, that we only depend on the uh, public services to change course, I think that is um, difficult, but I think you're going down the right path here. Uh, that's exactly the goal. Uh, we need people like uh, Paul Schreier or Pullman in public broadcasting stations. So we lead, need these top-notch journalists, and the, the fact that they're not uh, given a voice is uh, something that drives us crazy. And uh, SAT1 was created, and it's uh, just straight away economically successful. But uh, if you look at the statistics, then we still remain in our bubble. And that's important for us to know if we want to reconcile our families. Brothers and uh, sisters don't talk to each other because one of them watches mainstream, the others get information on the internet. 
we can only break this up if we, uh, uh, you know, gain access to the uh, leading media. That's the shortest route, and therefore it's worthwhile. It, it's worthwhile focusing our efforts, and then, you know, we need to wait and see in how far people are prepared to talk. But there's no room for compromise. But Rainer, you said it a minute ago, maybe people will fall back into their corrupt uh, being or essence. But in that case, it wouldn't be possible because public broadcasters are public. You can watch them daily, what they do on the news. And transparency and control is an uncompromising request uh, that we want to table now. And in that case, there will no longer be a debate that, uh, you know, there has to be a debate <laughs> because discourse is uh, not an option, it's mandatory. And, uh, you know, that's the fundamental basis for all democracy, free voicing of opinion. And that, first of all, has to be guaranteed in the public media. <clears throat> we pay for that, as you rightly said. And we didn't pay for propaganda being poured out over us in order to uh, wage war. And that's what's going on. Okay, Mr. Geron, thank you very much. I can only recommend everybody uh, to um, stop paying and uh, join that movement, uh, Leuchtturm RAD, uh, a um, joint movement already putting pressure on the public broadcasting services and may be even leading two people from the public media to get over on our side. And maybe I think we can make a common thing out of that. We'll see. We'll create a peaceful world. That has to happen. Thank you. Okay, bye. Thank you. Bye bye. Good. Yet um, you've been waiting for 15 minutes, uh, Joel Skousen. I hope I'm pronouncing your last name correctly. Are you with us, Joel? Let me. Um, introduce you. You're the founder and chief editor of World Affairs Brief, a, a weekly news analysis service. You served as a United States Marine Corps fighter pilot during the Vietnam era. During the 1980s, you were the chairman of the Conservative National Committee. You're going to tell us something about the deep state conspiracies behind this exaggerated pandemic, about constitutional trickery and the corruption of the courts by blackmail and secret loyalties, about the City of London's betrayal of the U.S. military in the City of London's war aims from Korea and Vietnam through to Iraq, the coming world war with Russia and China and why we we're set up for failure in Ukraine. Glo globalism is a quasi-religious movement that stands above individual tyrannies such as communism or extreme environmentalism and that is able to manipulate those movements and individual national regimes with great coordination. Another um, issue is more than ever, you still consider the nuclear attack on America as inevitable because both because the real axes of evil, Russia and China, are still building for that attack and because your own, uh, your own, the American government, is controlled by those intent upon destroying U.S. sovereignty and delivering our nation, that's the United, uh, that's the United States, over to socialist New World Order. You said this in 2006. Um, 
I think I agree with pretty much everything you're saying, uh, but I'm not sure what role uh, China and Russia are playing here. Are they still uh, on board with the World Economic Forum? Or is Russia at least, uh, has, have they realized, has Putin realized that that's, uh, that's the wrong friendship? Um, Joel, can you hear us? Yes, I can. Can oh, you hear me? Great. I can hear you. Yes. Perfect. How are you doing? It's good to be, I'm just fine. It's good to be with you. And this is wonderful technology to be able to speak uh, from here in the United States over to Berlin. Um, I only got about 50% of your uh, German interview. I read German, but my ear is not accustomed to full native speech yet. So I hope to improve that in the future. In answer to your question, the subject of the relationship between the Anglo-American globalists in Russia and China is a very complex one. Mm -hmm. um, this conspiracy to get us into a global government uh, has been going on since at least the beginning of the former century, 1900 uh, and on. As you remember, World War I was you know, created and, and manipulated in an attempt to get us into a new world order called the League of Nations. And it didn't fly in the United States. Uh, the Treaty of Versailles set up the conditions uh, so that Germans would be pushed into, uh, you know, going to war again, which they did in World War II. And it was interesting that we were using the phrase in the United States, the United Nations before it was even created. Uh, it's in all of the documents, it's in the talking about United Nations, this and it hadn't even been created till after the war. And that shows that the globalists had fully infiltrated the United States government uh, during the Roosevelt administration and the Truman administration. But what was interesting, my uncle W. Cleon Skousen wrote the seminal work in 1956, The Naked Communist. And uh, I was 17 years old at that time. And uh, it struck me as very interesting that even though there were communists throughout the, the uh, Roosevelt and Truman administrations, it seems like there were non-communists above them that were protecting them from being fired, from being removed from the administration. And I determined later on that these were globalists. And the purpose of globalism dealing with communism was not because the globalists are communists. They are a milder form of socialism, meaning they want to use communism to break down the social order in various countries by allowing communist governments to attack and take over various countries. And they've assisted in doing that. Uh, for example, the globalists gave uh, both the US globalists, um, Jacob Schiff gave $20 million in gold to the, the Russian revolutionaries, so did the British in order to fund the revolution, not because they were communists, but because they want to destroy the Russian system and the czar and create conflict that they can eventually use that conflict to create world wars. Uh, at World War II, you know, through Lend-Lease, a lot of people in the world don't know that the US delivered to Russia the rest of the nuclear plans they couldn't st steal in the Manhattan Project. Uh, they delivered them through the Air Force Base there in Montana, and uh, uh, Major Racy Jordan opened those, broke the diplomatic seal on those trunks, and uh, found the nuclear plans to them. He called the White House, 
uh, in Washington, D.C., and they said, you're to close those up, send them on, and never tell anyone what you found. In other words, there's a complete conspiracy to build up Russia. We gave them the first shipment of, of enriched uranium. The Russians didn't know how to enrich uranium. Even if they had the plans, they couldn't build a bomb. So we delivered the first shipment of enriched uranium so they could explode a nuclear weapon a year after Hiroshima. Wow. And then due to another globalist, George Catlett Marshall, who was over uh, Eisenhower during World War II, he brought Mao Zedong to power in China by cutting off military aid to Chiang Kai-shek. And Mao Zedong never would have won the Civil War there without Marshall having cut off um, military the globalists brought um, Castro to power in Cuba uh, by undermining Batista and by shipping in arms secretly to, to Castro. We brought the Sandinistas to power in Nicaragua by uh, um, uh, curtailing and, and actually uh, undermining uh, Anastasio Somoza, the most pro-Western of all of the uh, presidents there in Central America. And the list goes on and on of how we, and, and in Korea, for example, um, General MacArthur gave an interview in 1964 uh, when he said that uh, everything that he tried to get permission to do, he had to put through the State Department and the Truman administration. And he found out after the war that it was the British, which really wasn't the British per se, but it, it was the, the globalist form of the British who were occupy the city of London. Uh, and controlled the city of London in, uh, inside the, the major metropolitan of London, uh, that they objected to him going beyond the 38th parallel and pursuing the Chinese back or bombing uh, the, uh, the Chinese military forces beyond the Yalu River. In other words, it was the globalist even then that, that created the atmosphere whereby the U.S. could not win the Korean War. Why? Because... I believe the Korean War is going to be the trigger event for World War III. And here's my reasoning. Uh, Ukraine isn't going to be that. Uh, let me. Uh, you have to have an intervention necessary to protect American troops. And in Korea, we have over 47,000 American troops in Korea. If North Korea attacks South Korea, we will have to intervene. And North Korea just this past week said that they will use nuclear weapons if the South attacks them. But by implication, if the North starts a war and the U.S. intervenes to try to stop them, they could still use that and would probably use that as used to, to use nuclear weapons against South Korean and U.S. forces. Now, that could provide China the excuse that they've been looking for to do a preemptive nuclear strike against uh, the United States military. And let me discuss that in broad general terms relative to Ukraine. Uh, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Before I do that, let me say that one of the most important historical elements that uh, people need to understand is that the fall of the Soviet Union was a carefully crafted deception. The communists merely went underground. They were the ones who gave the orders to Eric Honecker to let the, the student protest in Leipzig go forward. The students in Leipzig said, you know, the thing that we could never understand is where were the Stasi? They were nowhere to be found. Normally they were always after us, they were shattering us. We would have been arrested instantly, but the Stasi had stood down. 
in the in the Moscow Red Square uh, confrontation between the students who were rioting in favor of Yeltsin, who was sitting on top or standing on top of a, a tank, broadcasting to the Russians about the overthrow of the Soviet system. Well, the communists were still in charge of the radio station. Why didn't they cut off Yeltsin? And the, I saw a documentary from the Russian students there, and they say, where were the KGB? Normally, they're after us, too, and they were nowhere to be seen. Are we to believe, for example, that the KGB, who had overthrown many governments, couldn't arrest or capture Gorbachev in his undefended villa? That was part of the narrative of the phony fall. Are we to believe that the heads of the GRU, the KGB, the defense minister, had to flee for their lives. These are the people in charge of all, supposedly in charge of all the law enforcement power in the Soviet Union. Who were they fleeing from? You know, nobody in the Western media asked those questions, which were very obvious to me watching this. In fact, myself and Christopher Story of the UK were the only ones to blow the whistle on the phony fall of the Soviet Union. The globalists were in fact in favor of covering for this phony fall because they knew that Russia and China, or Russia, was, was falsifying their own fall in order to gain Western aid and trade because they were getting a high, a, a behind severely militarily with the United States. And the globalists went along. Now, why would they go along? Some in the United States have theorized that the globalists actually control Russia and China and that it's all one big globalist conspiracy. That's not my, my analysis. My analysis is that there are three predator centers in the world, each of them attempting to run their own version of the New World Order and its various tyrannical powers. There are the Anglo-American globalists that control our countries. There's the Russians and the, the Chinese. And the Russians and Chinese are in league together in alliance to take down the Western New World Order to supplant it. And there are many Ameri Americans who naively believe that because Russia and China are trying to take down our globalists, that they are our friends, that they want to preserve liberty. And it's just simply very naive and not true. They want to take down the globalists in Syria and in the United States and in Ukraine, et cetera, so that they can build their own globalist network. And I believe that Russia and China, after they plan on eliminating the U.S. control over global governments, will in fact have to fight it out among themselves. And that's why Russia stopped transferring all of its high-tech technology to China over 10 years ago, because they fear China eventually becoming an enemy to them. So the bottom line, now, the bottom line, if yeah. I understand you correctly, is that what we're seeing, most of what we're seeing, for example, the fall of the Soviet Union is fake. Um, and the, the, even though the communists went underground, they were still giving orders, for example, to Honecker to stand down when the wall fell. And this was all done more or less or only in the interests of the globalists who are behind them. Are this, is this a, a, an actual cooperation between the globalists and the communists? No, mm -hmm. no, no, it isn't. And that's the major uh, misunderstanding that many uh, Americans have, um, that because the globalists are helping Russia or covering for the phony fall, that they must be controlling them or somehow be in league together. But it isn't true. It's a one-way street, uh, Reiner. In other words, um, the globalists are helping the Soviets, but 
you know, when you look at the the uh, Soviet archives, they talk about the Americans don't understand why they're helping them. They say, you know, these must be useful idiots like Lenin talked about. Uh, they didn't understand that there was no, nothing in the Verona transcripts that indicate that there's a direct collusion between them. There's a mutual agreement. It's a one-way street. Globalists always assisting the Russians. And that's because they're building two future enemies because they need one more war besides World War II. They need one more war to get us into a fully militarized, all-controlling global government. World War II didn't do that. We got the United Nations, but it has no military power, it has no taxing power, it has no regulatory power over the world. And there's a great deal of resistance after the Brexit, a great deal of resistance in America about getting involved in a EU-style control regime, which is a predecessor to the global government. Hmm. So the reason we see the U.S., exceeding and building up communists and letting them uh, you know, control and covering for the Soviet Union is one, to, to give them aid and trade and to pretend that they're not a real enemy. We downplayed the Soviet and Chinese threat for decades until Ukraine came along. And a lot of Americans think, including Paul Craig Roberts and uh, other people, that uh, because the globalists are against Putin, he must be a good guy because our globalists are evil. So Putin must be a good guy and mm -hmm. China must be okay too. This is very, very naive. Um, one of the things that they use to say that Ukraine is a Western intervention or a Western uh, coup is in the uh, 2014 Maidan revolution, the orange revolution in mm -hmm. Ukraine. Obviously, Victoria Newland and the Globus had poured some $5 billion into Ukraine. And I think a lot of that went as the payoff to the uh, contractors who had built the bioweapons labs in Ukraine. The U.S. is, just, because it's illegal for the U.S. to do bioweapons labs in our country, they've, they've done it in the former Soviet uh, countries. Uh, Daytona or... Um, Diliana Daytansheva, the uh, Bulgarian journalist. I don't know if you've interviewed her, but she's got all of the information, mm -hmm. all of the information about the U.S. funding ISIS, the U.S. Uh, providing arms to ISIS and building these weapons, uh, uh, bioweapons labs in Bulgaria, Romania, and, and Ukraine. Can you give but her I think, What's her name again? Diliana mm -hmm. Daytansheva. Okay. And she is the most knowledgeable woman journalist in the world on U.S. deep state funding of terrorism and uh, bioweapons laboratories. Uh, very, very, she does uh, speak English. She probably speaks German too. She's very, very intelligent. Mm -hmm. um, the key point um, I'm making in Ukraine is that even though the United States did fund a lot of the Orange Revolution in Ukraine, uh, Viktor Yanukovych was a communist president of Ukraine at that time, and the protesters were essentially protesting his regime and they wanted uh, freedom. But in fact, it was not won by the West. And that's it, it, this disproves the fact that this was a Western garnered coup. What happened on Thursday when uh, Yanukovych met with the purported leaders of the Orange Revolution, 
which the people on the street said they don't represent us. These are plants. With it. This is typical of when you have a, a phony coup. So the people in the streets who were protesting rejected the compromise that Yanukovych made with the purported uh, uh, protest leaders, which were not the true leaders. But on Friday, this was in February of 2014, on Friday, the Berkut, the riot police in Ukraine were told to stand down. They stayed in their barracks. That included all the guards of the presidential palace and all the guards of all the government office buildings. So suddenly, the Maidan protesters, which had been surrounded by riot police, the Berkut, for months, they could not leave, were free to roam. They went and entered into the presidential palace, into the parliament building and everything. And people said, wow, this is great, we won. But nobody in the Western media asked the question, who gave the orders to the Berkut to stand down? In fact, who could have given the orders? Only the communist president, Viktor Yanukovych, could have given those orders. Then the next day on Saturday, the Rada, which is the uh, Ukrainian parliament, voted to oust Viktor Yanukovych, uh, Yanukovych and he fled for his life, supposedly mm -hmm. because of armed people against him. But the media doesn't say that it was the communist parties that had a majority in the Rada. Why would the communist parties vote to oust their own president? My conclusion is this was just as much a phony coup as the fall of the Soviet Union. And why was the purpose? Why would the communists do this for a very real advantage? They wanted to trigger an excuse for Russia to invade Crimea, which it did a month later of that. And so what happened is by forming and making this appear as if it is a Western coup that had overthrown a legitimately elected president, that's what the media keep saying. And then you bring in uh, Petro uh, Poroshenko to replace him. Now he came and ran as a nationalist. But in my research, I found that even uh, President Timoshenko and others who had purported to be nationalists were actually Russian puppets. That's why she ended up being you know, sent to prison for corruption because of all the insider dealing and the millions that she made, as well as all the corruption that goes on in Ukraine. You see, when the, when the fall of the Soviet Union was falsified, one of the keys to the falsification was that none of the former Soviet states ever purged any of the communists from the bureaucrats. So the same communists that were exacting bribes from the people uh, we're still getting those same bribes after the fall of the Soviet Union. And the Ukrainian people were very, very upset about this, that nothing had really changed in terms of corruption in the country. And so you see, Ukraine has always had its own version of the deep state, a lot of former communists, or that are still communists, that were in the bureaucracy. So even when um, Volodymyr uh, Zelensky was elected president, the first president that I don't believe was a, an actual Russian puppet, he was still dealing with the deep state who was dealing with Hunter Biden and all of the weapons labs and keeping it uh, covered, et cetera. Uh, but when Petro Poroshenko came in, he came in and saying, he ran under the office that we're gonna let the Russians speak Russian in the Eastern portion and the Ukrainians in the West could speak Ukrainian. There's eight different dialects in Ukraine. They can all speak what they want. As soon as he became president, he decreed that the Russians had to speak Ukrainian. In other words, he directly inflamed them and he directly 
created the hostility that allowed uh, Putin to then go in and uh, and uh, and attack Crimea and then do that stealth invasion of the Donbas. So what I'm saying is there's always a purpose for the, the communists faking their own demise and blaming it on the West so that they can create the, the measures of conflict. As you can see, Ryan, this is a very complex scenario. This is they play both sides. It's very difficult to detect unless you really know these crucial historical events like the phony fall or like the phony Maidan revolution, which has been used to blame the West for everything that's happening. What is the purpose of the communists for faking their own demise? Um, to gain, right. to get access to Western technology, to get aid? And, and trade and banking and all of that helped to rebuild the Soviet Union. A lot of Americans don't realize that it was Western oil companies that rebuilt the entire Russian oil industry. New refineries, new techniques for uh, drilling techniques, et cetera. They're the ones that made Russia this powerhouse in oil. And uh, as well as that, there were many countries that were, or companies that were pressured by American interests to go in and invest and they lost their shirt in Russia because Russia didn't really turn into a capitalist country. Transportation and many other key industries were still controlled by the Communist Party. In the Moscow, in, in the Kremlin today, I have insiders that have told me, you still hear the word, the party says this, the party says that, just like before the fall. The United Party was created by the communists in order to falsify that there were different, uh, you know, communists or different and free parties. Only the very tiniest parties are non-controlled in Russia, in my opinion. Um, in addition, there is a above ground communist party, which is very small to give the image that in fact they had fallen and they are out of uh, out of favor now. But the point is all during the Cold War years, the US globalists downplayed the Russian and Soviet threat. They talked about containment rather than actually fighting. We even gave Russia during the Nixon administration when Henry Kissinger, a globalist, was his uh, national security advisor, we gave the Russians the miniature ball bearing technology so that they could MIRV their missiles, meaning multiple independent reentry vehicles, MIRV. They couldn't do but one warhead per missile until we gave them the technology. Now, why would the globalists do that? Because they're building future enemies. They need this third world war. I see to get the West into a full militarized global government. And here's how I think they're gonna do it. The key is a very little known secret presidential decision directive, PDD, presidential decision directive 60, signed by President Bill Clinton in 1997. It instructed our missile forces to absorb a nuclear first strike and then retaliate afterwards. Now, if you know anything about nuclear warfare, you know that the ones with launch on warning, when our satellites detect a Chinese or Russian launch, it takes 20 to 30 minutes for those missiles to hit their targets. In the meantime, we can launch all of our missiles and bombers. And the ones who launch first then hit empty targets. And the one who launches second, before those missiles arrive, they're able to hit live targets that are still live. So launch on warning is the, it's not MAD that deters the Russians and Chinese, it's launch on warning. And PDD-60 removed it from the United States military doctrine. 
Now, it's still secret. It's very little talked about. The only reason we know about it is that the Washington Post in 1997 issued an article and saying, oh, it doesn't stop lunch on warning. We can still deter the Russians. And then Craig Cernillo of Arms Control Today came out and wrote an article debunking it because he had helped write it. These anti-nuclear people had helped write this uh, presidential decision directive. And he said, no, it does not allow launch on warning. It absolutely prohibits it. And so that's how we found out what PD-60 more or less said. And for your listeners, if they want to see what Craig Cernillo wrote about PDD-60, it's the only public description we have of it. It's at the website armscontroltoday.org. And you go to the archives to November 1997, and there you'll find the article by Craig Cernillo. And uh, it's right there still in black and white. Is that November 1997? That's correct. Mm -hmm. In the archives, and you can read it. It's, it's dramatic. Now, what's interesting is that Bruce Blair, a disarmament fanatic in the United States, uh, two months ago came out and said, you know what we really need to do as Biden is trying to review the nuclear posture, there's a nuclear posture review every two years in the United States. He says Biden really needs to get rid of launch on warning because that's what really is threatening our supposed enemies and we've got to remove those threats. And I said to myself, wait a minute, how is it that Bruce Blair doesn't understand that launch on warning has already been removed? Hmm. And so I emailed uh, the people to Arms Control Today and at FAS, Federation of American Scientists, which is a rabid anti-nuclear uh, group of scientists. I emailed both of them and I said, wait a minute, has, has PDG-60 been uh, revoked? I mean, you people helped write it. You ought to know if it's been revoked. And what's interesting, these people, 20 years or more after 1997, didn't even know about PDD-60. It's been so buried, so underground, that they didn't even know it existed. And that's why they were saying, we need to remove lunch on warning. Now, this is very crucial because if the, why would the United States want to set themselves up for a nuclear first strike and absorb it? Mm -hmm. That's what this does. Why would they want to do that? Well, the reason I believe is that if you allow the Russians and Chinese to do a preemptive nuclear strike on U.S. military forces, and I think a war in Korea would trigger that, they can come out of their bunkers, and believe me, they've been building a lot of new modern bunkers because they know the Russians and Chinese know about the existing bunkers. They come out of their bunkers and say, we didn't know this was going to happen, which is a lie. But now that our military has been decapitated, the only way that we can prosecute this war is to join in a militarized global government with other Western nations to prosecute the war. And I think the new EU army, which is being built secretly with secret funds, both not only from Britain coming back into the EU, but I think the EU army is going to be the, uh, the beginning of that, uh, that militarized global military. Now, you have to ask the question, if you absorb a nuclear strike uh, 
I mean, and by the way, going back to the rationale, Americans, of course, if you, you know, the entire Western world depends on the US military to defend itself from Russia and China. And so if it's decapitated, obviously there's a, a, a feeling of panic, the, what do we do? And obviously globalists always, when they create conflict, they have a false solution. And that solution, of course, is a militarized global government. Now, I don't think any Americans would resist that uh, in a crisis any more than they resisted the deep state attack on 9-11, on which they blamed on 19 you know, uh, hijackers. Um, but you have to ask the questions. And as a military analyst, I asked myself, how did the globalists expect to win the war if the US military is decapitated? Well, it's very interesting that General Mattis, the former Secretary of Defense in the United States, speaking at a Booz Allen private session, it was leaked later on after that, that he had said, you would be surprised how many trillions of dollars are going into space that are not on the American budget. Wow. Trillions. Now, all of the stuff going on in space that we know about, the, the navigation satellites and the spy satellites, all that's on the budget. So what are these trillions that are going into space that are not on the budget? I believe that the, that the U.S. has, in fact, built a brilliant pebbles anti-missile system in satellites. And I believe that after absorbing a nuclear first strike, they can use those anti-missile satellites to stop any further nuclear attack on US cities. Because the, our globalists know that the Russians and Chinese don't want to destroy cities. They don't want to destroy the economies that they depend on. They want to simply nuke the military and then blackmail the West into submission. Now, I believe that the U.S. can then and the globalists can then reject the blackmail by stopping any other nuclear attacks. And that gives them time to rebuild in a military conventional sense to go after Russia and China militarily. It's also possible that the globalists will make a deal with China to betray Russia during the war, just as we did make a deal with Stalin to betray uh, Germany. In other words, Russia and China know that they need to eliminate one another in order to you know, take over their own version. So I think China might jump at the chance to eliminate Russia. And Russia's the weakest of the three, by the way, huh. both economically and militarily. And so if China comes against Russia's rear and the West in Europe comes against the, uh, you know, from the, uh, from the West, Russia would go down and then China would become the new Cold War enemy. And there could be a resolution to that, uh, you know, bringing back in the Great Reset and all of these other globalist plans that they want. One of the things that I have projected, though, is that because this war will be so terrible, and I think it's Russian and Chinese military doctrine that you precede a nuclear preemptive strike with an EMP strike about 15, 20 minutes before to take down the grid that the United States would probably be out of electricity for almost a year because we don't stockpile any of the long distance transformers. They're huge transformers and they're only made in China now. We may have three or four in our country to replace, but if they all go down in an EMP strike, we could see major social unrest uh, for up to a year of panic and rioting and pillaging and uh, it would be 
as in the movie The Mad Max scenario. It's very, very bad. What I fear is that the globalist plans to control everyone through AI and through robotics and replace everyone, you will own nothing and you will be happy, etc. I think that can only occur in a perfectly peaceful world with a guaranteed source of electricity. In fact, digital control of currency and the internet and cryptocurrency can only occur with an uninterruptible source of electricity that's constant and in peace. I'm not sure the world will ever be back together at full peace and a smooth running thing after this kind of a war with an EMP strike. The hatred, the vengeance, the, the revulsion of people toward their neighbors who have pillaged them during the year, that's going to be very difficult to overcome. The U.S. has never received, been attacked before, and it would be a dramatic, uh, damaging thing to the psyche of Americans, I think. Uh, but I'm just not sure that they're going to be able to build back with the kind of controls that they are anticipating. When you said... Zelensky is the first one, the first Ukraine president who wasn't uh, a Russian puppet. Uh, would you would you say that he's he's a NATO American U.S. puppet? Uh, let me put it this way: Zelensky is an amateur. Mm. He doesn't show any of the signs of a professional politician. Um, he did have the backing of one of the anti-Russian oligarchs to get elected. Um, and he has become a virtual yes man to Klaus Schwab and whatever the globalists ask him to do. Now, that doesn't make him a dedicated conspirator with the globalists. There's a difference between being a yes man who's desperate for Western aid and willing to do anything and someone who is a long-term conspirator who is planning. And In fact, I will say, say this to you, Reiner. The... Most of the people who are involved in globalism in the Western world don't know the end game. They don't know that the globalists are bringing a World War III upon us. They don't know that the U.S. is going to allow a nuclear first strike to decapitate. Our military doesn't know that. In fact, that's one of the reasons why there may be a secret benefit in the U.S. going woke to its military and you know imposing all these vaccines and this... Uh, a homosexual agenda on the military. It's driving out the good people out of the U.S. military. And when the U.S. military gets hit with a preemptive nuclear strike, I'm hoping that most of the good people won't be there because a lot of our military is going to die in that first strike. And so I think there are hidden blessings of God uh, that gives us some pockets of resistance that I'm hopeful of. One of the reasons I wrote the book, uh, Strategic Relocation, which is a North American Guide to Save Places, as, which is a bestseller in the United States now, because I'm hoping that people will get out of the big cities where they are minority controlled by these leftist uh, Democrats and go back to rural American areas where they can form new majorities of conservatives and have some pockets of liberty. Even the globalists, if we get ourselves into a global new world order, have to get, play lip service to democracy and we have to respect where there are conservative majorities. And so as we learned in COVID, 
they really only enforced all of these radical uh, restrictions on urban areas. The rural areas hardly saw any of these restrictions. In the United States, we hardly saw a mask in rural areas, except in woke corporations like Walmart that required it to get into the store. Uh, but there was no enforcement, no coming around and checking your temperature and forcing you to do things in rural areas. So I think that is a, an, a at least a possible opening for some liberty in the future is to have uh, more freedom in rural areas than we do have in the major cities. Have you, um, we have uh, pretty concrete information from um, high-ranking soldiers, both the German army and the American, the U.S. army, that in, um, in I forget what city it is, but in um, Ukraine, about 3,000 fighters, most of them the so-called Nazis, uh, Azov regiment, plus um, mercenaries, foreign mercenaries, but also high-ranking Western generals, including one American general. About 3,000 of them have been captured in a one of the largest steel plants in Europe. Have you heard about this? Yes, I have. Yes. You know, there's a couple of different... One thing you have to be careful about Ukraine is that you have a lot of hype or hyperbole coming from both sides. Russians denying that they've hardly had any uh, you know, casualties and Ukrainians saying up to 60,000. The truth is somewhere in the middle. Mm -hmm. I do believe the most credible accounts come from the French correspondent from Le Figaro this week saying that, that uh, uh, there were US and British special forces in Ukraine in the Donbass uh, region mm -hmm. that were fighting. Um, I really don't think that the U.S. has sent over high-ranking generals. That's too provocative if they mm -hmm. get captured. Uh, it's, it's one thing to have special forces in there because they were training before, and so you can have some excuse for why they're still there. Uh, and I do believe they are still there uh, guiding things. Uh, uh, so there is Western boots on the ground and involvement. But I don't believe the stories about high-ranking general. That's just too provocative. Mm -hmm. And uh, they don't need high-ranking generals, you know, really to direct uh, this as much as they, you know, special forces guys are every bit as schooled in tactics in the local area as the generals are and can do every bit. So I, I just don't think that uh, the U.S. would be stupid enough to send U.S. generals into there. Mm -hmm. So the bottom line of your analysis is that we do have the Western, um, well, I guess you could you could say um, financial mafia, uh, City of London and Wall Street, through which they funnel their money into the uh, tech and pharmaceutical industry. You have this Western Great Reset um, agenda on the one hand, but you have um, another similar but a little bit different Great Reset agenda on the other hand, which is um, being uh, followed by the, by the Chinese and the Russians. Is that a fair assessment? Yes, I, in my estimation, we have three global threats. There's the Russian threat, which I'll tell you, I published in the World Affairs Brief the speech by uh, General Hao Tian mm -hmm. in 2011. It was leaked to the Epic Times and boy, the Russians are gonna be, I mean, the Chinese are gonna be under Vietnamese and Chinese, and uh, you don't want to be under a Chinese occupation. These people don't have any regard for humanity. Um, 
and I'm not speaking for all Chinese, but I'm just saying the leadership, especially the communists, Hao Tian said, we're going to be ruthless. The Nazis were just too easy uh, when they came in and conquered. We are going to be ruthless uh, to Americans, not only with biological weapons to cleanse the land so that we get more Lebensraum, you know, living space. Uh, they want North America and Canada because China's run out of agricultural land. Uh, they really got a problem there with uh, the arid, uh, most of China is arid and not capable of pr producing, and they've got way, way too many people. But the Russians are also pretty ruthless. You know, the Russians uh, took a lot of our prisoners from Vietnam and shipped them to Russia where they did medical experiments on them. Uh, the Russians kept back almost 30,000 U.S. and British troops that they'd liberated from Nazi prisoners of war camps. And they kept them as hostages to make sure that Eisenhower carried forth an Operation Keel Hall, which required that the West return all Soviet bloc people back to Russia. And even after Eisenhower complied, Stalin did not release any of those 30,000 British and American prisoners. They went to the gulags and died there. That's a major cover-up in the U.S. from the globalists. Once again, why would they do that? Why would they cover it? Because they're covering for the Russians. They don't want to inflame the American people or cause them to go to war too early with the Russians, which that would have been a provocation. There's all kinds of things in our history showing that the globalists uh, do these things. Let me give you two examples, for example. In, in the United States, we have a Henry Kissinger and we had an Alger Hiss. Mm -hmm. Alger Hiss was a prominent figure in the Roosevelt and Truman administration. And according to Whitaker Chambers, a reformed communist, he said, I happen to know firsthand information that Alger Hiss joined the Communist Party. And this was during the, um, you know, the anti-communist uh, days of the United States where they're trying to purge the communists out of it. Well, the McCarthy era. Alger, what? The McCarthy era? Yes, the McCarthy mm -hmm. era. Now, it's very interesting that Alger Hiss was finally uh, prosecuted for perjury rather than for being a communist. And he went to prison for it for many years. And I'll tell you, you never saw such a defense of the globalist mainstream media in the United States than you did about defending Alger Hiss. And you say, why would they defend a communist like this? Well, I came to the conclusion, and I think I'm right, is that Alger Hiss never really was a communist. He was always a globalist, but he was one of those who went and joined the Communist Party so that they would not think uh, otherwise when he worked to bring in uh, Lachlan Marie and, and many of the other communists into the Roosevelt. They would say, oh, he's one of us. That's why he's bringing in the communists. That's why he's protecting the communists in the administration. It's just like Henry Kissinger when he was a soldier in uh, uh, well, he had joined the Communist Party in Eastern Germany, and then he became a U.S. globalist. He was the one during the negotiations at the end of the Vietnam War. He sold out South Vietnam. He just told the Chinese, he says, or the Vietnamese, he says, give us three years before you attack the South. That was his deal. And it was three years almost to the day before they went in and attacked the South. And that's at that agreement, he also allowed China then to replace Taiwan and gave them a seat on the Security Council. You know, it's one thing to replace Taiwan and the UN, but to give it a seat on the Security Council with the veto power, 
That was Henry Kissinger. But you see, the Chinese wouldn't have thought anything of it because they thought he was a communist because he had joined the party in, in Germany, in East Germany. And so you see how complicated this is. You have globalists masquerading as communists to help the communists think that he's one of them when in fact it gives them an excuse to be able to help the communists without them thinking, well, why is he doing this? So these are very sophisticated conspiracies we're dealing with, but these are real facts that I'm presenting here, which, which bolster what I think is globalists building these communist enemies in order to create a third world war, which they need to get the U.S. into a global government. But a lot of people have said, well, why now are the globalists attacking Russia? And it's because I think they started early. They always had to switch sides at some point. In other words, before World War III, they had to switch sides and start attacking Russia and China so they don't get blamed for being soft on China or soft on Russia leading to the war. But I think they had to start early because of Donald Trump winning the election in 2016. They did, had not expected that. The voter antipathy towards Democrats overwhelmed the, the, the vote uh, corruption that was president in 2016 and he still won. And so because they wanted to link Trump to Putin to blacken his name, mm -hmm. they had to start attacking Russia earlier than what they had normally done. And now they're in full attack mode. And going back to one of the earlier questions, I think the new world order has permanently now banned Putin. I don't think he'll be allowed into the G7 or G20 or any of those things anymore. Permanently. Hillary Clinton, mm -hmm. Hillary Clinton, a globalist said as much. Now, they haven't ousted China yet, but I think that will come sometime in the future. But when they turn against China as well, and remember, you can't uh, do sanctions on China like you can do on Russia because 80% of our imports now come from China in the United States. And American consumers would be very, very upset if they couldn't get any of their cheap goods anymore. And so you're, we're limited in what we can cut off from China. We've become too deeply involved. And I warned against this many years ago in the World Affairs Brief that we should not let China into the World Trade Organization and, and open up uh, you know, the problems. And you know, Trump put tariffs on China, but that only hurt American consumers. It didn't stop China at all. What do you think? What do you think, Joel? Is there... Um, is there any realistic chance at all to stop this push for World War III? I don't think so. I think there's a 100% probability that we're going to have it. And it's not just because the globalists want it. They cannot start the war. They have to look like the victims. Now they can provoke, and that's what they partially do in Ukraine and other places, uh, uh, you know, the Baltics are probably next on Putin's list. You know, the, the West can provoke that by putting some missiles into the Baltics and then provoke. Uh, but Russia, Putin really does want to reconstitute the Soviet Union. That was one of their plans all along. And taking back Ukraine was number one on his list because it's the uh, agricultural heartland of the former Soviet Union. It was the industrial heartland, the steel production, the missile production, all of that came out of Ukraine and Putin wants it back. Now, I don't think he's going to be able to get it uh, because of U.S. weapons and other things and the incompetence. In fact, it's really amazing how from a military analysis, everyone in the U.S. has gone 
turned 180 degrees away from the Russian huge conventional threat to now Russia really isn't that much of a conventional threat. It's their nuclear threat that's the real problem with Russia. Uh, I mean, but to, to be frank, Russia put in second level, second tier armor, second tier troops from Dagestan and from Uzbekistan and others. They didn't put in a lot of first run uh, Russian or uh, Russian troops in there. But still, the tactics were very bad. The air ground coordination was abysmal. Uh, it showed a lot of weaknesses in Russian uh, military capabilities so far. So I don't think they're going to take all of Ukraine, but they are going to take eastern Ukraine and southern Ukraine. So they've got a land bridge to Crimea, and they're probably satisfied in this round of conflict for that. And uh, when this whole thing spills over into World War III, what do you think? Will it start here in Europe? Is that going to be where the major battlefield will be, or will it really start with a first nuclear strike against the U.S.? Yeah, let me talk about the nuclear strike thing. You know, Putin has threatened nuclear weapons over Ukraine, but that's not going to happen. I can guarantee it. Mm -hmm. And the reason is, in a nuclear war, you either throw it all out there at once or you don't do anything at all. A limited nuclear strike is impossible. It just invites retaliation. Uh, so Putin is not going to do a limited strike, and he can't do an all-out nuclear strike on the U.S. because he doesn't have the military or the troops to consolidate the win if he does uh, neuter the United States. You understand what I'm saying? Yes. In other words... How do you occupy the United States? How do you occupy Europe when he can't even occupy Ukraine? All that would do would cause a firestorm of anger. And over the next few years, they'd build back the military and they'd come back and annihilate, even if he did decapitate U.S. military missiles. You know. mm -hmm. So that's why Russia has to ally with China. Because not only is China building a lot of more nuclear weapons than the U.S. acknowledges, Together, they can completely neuter U.S., British, and French nuclear weapons facilities and submarine bases. And China's got the troops that they can occupy. So only with Russia and China can they actually control the West and take power and occupy in their own version of the tyrannical new world order or tyrannical global government. And so that's why... Putin's nuclear threat is a paper threat at this point. It will not happen, I guarantee. But I'll tell you, when China and Russia are ready to strike the West, and I'm predicting that in the latter half of this decade, when they'll be fully ready, not until then, uh, we could face the World War III scenario. And so I think it's very important that people stop depending on governments to protect us against war because they're going to allow a nuclear strike to fall. It will not fall on cities per se. The Russians and Chinese do not want to take down the economies and the cities. They want to neuter the military and then blackmail the West into submission. So you don't have to worry except for fallout coming from nuclear bases that are hit. And with the westerly prevailing winds in both Europe and the United States, you have to worry about fallout on the coastal bases that will be hit in England and France. Um, so I, I do recommend in my writings that people do prepare for fallout, which is fairly inexpensive to do, like the Swiss has done with most homes used to have at least a fallout shelter uh, built into the homes. And you can still do that, although very few countries in Europe have basements, which is unfortunate. 
Wow, that's a very a, a kind of a very bleak outlook because you can't even choose between uh, the lesser evil. Um, it looks as though we're surrounded by evil forces, both uh, uh, Western globalists, but also the Chinese and Russian globalists. They're no different. They all want complete control over the entire world. It's like a like a, a dystopian James Bond movie that we're watching right now. Oh, that's right. And the only saving grace is that these evil forces will tend up fighting among themselves once this war starts. And I think, but I say, I don't think there's ever going to be any safety in the major cities anymore because if an EMP strikes Europe as well, you know, you'd have chaos in the cities and you just want to be in rural areas where you can have at least some semblance of being able to grow your own food or, or stockpile things without, you know, it's a, it's a bleak scenario. But I have to be realistic because I'll tell you, Reiner, if people have one ounce of hope that a Trump is going to save them, they will not prepare. They will not acknowledge the fact that we're facing, I mean, Americans are blind to this. They've never been attacked. They don't believe they're ever going to be attacked. Even if they think that nuclear war is coming, they just don't have any understanding that we are the target. We're the ones that are going to be attacked first in this coming war. So this all boils down to there is no this time there is no cavalry that'll come to our aid. We have to do it ourselves. Yeah. Okay, you and have I, to prepare. Mm. You have to get out of the major cities, or at least prepare to retreat. And you got to have advance warning, and that's why I can tell your listening audience: if you see a war in South Korea start, we'll be in World War Three probably within two or three weeks after that, because that will give China the excuse to say, I mean, if nuclear weapons are used in, in the Koreas, China will say, all right, you started it. And then they launch on US, uh, with Russia, launch on US military targets. And Russia has about double the nuclear throw weight of the US in terms of, you know, you gotta remember our Minuteman three missiles have had their three warheads removed and replaced with a single warhead. So we only have 400 warheads on our missiles. And the, you, the ballistic missile submarines, 50% of those are imported any one time and not uh, available for use. And all of the warheads on the ballistic missile submarines are not capable of penetrating hardened targets. They're only capable of air bursts over military or cities, and that's not our military doctrine to hit cities. So, you know, absorbing a nuclear first strike is a really big problem for the West. Yes, and I think it's incalculable. I don't think that anyone can foresee what's going to be the result of that. No one. Uh, there's so many uncertainties. Um, it's just it's just impossible. I think we're dealing with totally crazy psychopaths here. We are. Mm. And, you know, my my personal theological belief is there's a satanic component to this. I mean, when I track and I'm an expert in conspiracy, I've tracked the conspiracy since 1900. And it has gone in one inexorable, steady path, undermining U.S. and freedom and, and sovereignty for, for, you know, over 100 years. No single evil individual, no Klaus Schwab, no Rothschild, no Rockefeller can ever set in motion and, and determine to have a path followed. It just a mafia, you know, can't control his own organization for two generations, let alone a globalist conspiracy. Yeah. I think there has to be a satanic component 
of evil inspiration to these people guiding and directing and you know into it's interesting that, that hitler was into the occult mm -hmm. uh, you study a lot about hitler he was very very uh, you know into the occult and uh, i think there was a satanic influence there yeah one of the um, people one of the most important soldiers that um he had is the um uh head of the ss heinrich himmler and right. he was definitely into these occult scenarios. Um, yes. An evil man, strange, totally crazy person, I think. Yeah. Wow. So we can't underestimate the evil. You know, people say, why can't we all just get along? Because there is systematic evil in the world. Yeah. It's not just a few evil people. There's systematic evil, which inspires and controls people to do the most unconscionable things. That we have seen in our history and we're going to see the worst coming up in world war three depopulation will occur into that biological chemical weapons and you can prepare against those things but not if you stay in the big cities you have to prepare to get out into rural areas and there are a lot of rural areas even though the high density population is a problem in europe there still are rural areas and mountainous areas that you can rely on to get some sort of safety well, Joel, despite the fact that this is really, really dark and bleak, I'm very grateful for this outlook. And I'm absolutely certain that you are confirming the worst fears of some of our viewers. Um, but at the same time, um, they will now know that there's no one out there who's going to help. They're going to have to do it themselves. Um, I still hope that by educating the people, by exposing what we can see with your help, for example, we may, we may turn the tide. We'll see. Um, I'm still optimistic about that. And you alluded to this. I think there is a higher force out there that will come to our aid at the right time. Well, if we, if we aren't able to win back freedom and sovereignty at a national level, at least there will be pockets of liberty. In other words, the Lord, I believe, will not let people completely be without hope. There will always be some remnant that is capable of being saved, and I think there'll be pockets of liberty. I might say, going back to COVID, which we haven't discussed very much, I think one of the main purposes of the COVID exaggerated pandemic and the lying and the cheating about the PCR test and the death rate and all of those things was first of all meant to establish permanently emergency orders as um, and get people used to living under emergency powers and despite the fact that the COVID has almost all disappeared now the emergency powers still remain. Not a single one of those has ever been allowed to dissolve. I agree. They're still there. Anytime they can bring up. So remember when World War III comes, there will be real martial law and real emergency powers and people will be accustomed to saying yes to emergency and health authorities. And that's a real great danger. That's the long-term danger of why they don't ever let us, intend to let us be free from these mask mandates and these um, vaccine restrictions and the vaccines are very dangerous in, in and of themselves of course so, that you know that is why we um parts of the a large part of the resistance let's put it that way uh why we're advocating not just moving out of the big cities but um setting up our own 
new societal system, including a yes. new judiciary, a new a system of education, economics, and of course, healthcare, because it makes absolutely no sense to fight the existing system because it's totally corrupted. And there's too many people who have been infiltrated into the system who work for one of the evil forces that, that we were just talking about. And if we do that, if we disconnect, if our 20 or 30 percent is probably more in the United States, but if our 20 or 30 percent disconnect and set up our own system, that may help. Um, maybe not avert the war, but um, after in the aftermath of the war, it'll yes. help us set up a new society, which will be a, a real humane uh, human society. Yes, and I agree, uh, Reiner. I have uh, encouraged my subscribers in the United States to, one, get out of the medical system because of these ruthless protocols that doctors are forced to follow or they lose their jobs. Yeah. Learn to have natural health. And, you know, Europe in, has led the way in many of these regards into herbal and natural health uh, type of things. Get out of the public school systems. I know it's illegal to homeschool, I guess, in Germany, but it's not in the United States. And millions have fled the public schools over these mass mandates and vaccine yeah. mandates that are coming. Yeah. And it's important to get out of establishment woke corporations if they're going to mandate your vaccine. You know, get to be entrepreneurs, uh, learn basic skills, because when this war comes, I'll tell you, if you're a professional, there's not going to be any professional things other than you know, government established uh, establishment channels. You're going to have to be able to repair things. You're going to have to be able to work all of the basic skills, including growing food. So we really need to get back to basics and stop specializing so much, but get to be generalists. I, I myself do that. And um, it's a very fulfilling lifestyle, actually, to do your own repairs and do some farming and, and other things like that. I absolutely agree. And I think most of our viewers do, too. Well, again, Joel, thank you very much. This, again, this is very bleak and dark, but there is a ray of hope out there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think we will win this eventually, but a lot of people will probably not be around at that time. Well, let me just end by saying that while I still hope that there may be a chance that we can, at least there'll be pockets of liberty, I always believe in preparing for yes. the worst because if you don't prepare, you won't live through this war in order to be able to come out on the other side and participate in the new liberties that are going to be established. Yep, I agree. Okay, well, thank, thank you, you again. We will be in touch. I think we're going to have more to talk about maybe much sooner than we both think right now. I'd be happy to join you again, Reiner. Thank you very much. Thank you so much and take care. We'll be in touch. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Whoa. Um, we're a little behind, but not much. Um, we will now speak with a very interesting guest, uh, another guest from the United States, Martin Armstrong. He's an economist, uh, once a US-based trillion-dollar financial advisor. He developed a computer model based on the number pi, pi, and other cyclical theories to predict economic turning points with eerie accuracy. His website is armstrongeconomics.com. He will 
explain to us about U.S. interference in uh, in the year 2000. In the early 80s, he established his financial financial forecasting and advising company, Princeton Economics. His forecasts were highly sought after around the world. As Armstrong's reputation grew, prominent New York bankers invited him to join the club to help them manipulate markets. Martin Armstrong refused repeatedly. A few months later, the FBI stormed his offices, confiscating his computer model and accusing him of a $3 billion Ponzi scheme. He was held in jail, in jail, from 2000 until 2006. Not because, um, because he was convicted of a crime, but because he was in a standoff, and probably still is, with the government. So this was a case about civil contempt. It's not a criminal case. Um, he'll talk to us about the impact of negative interest rates and the real issue behind this COVID agenda and creating war. Martin, um, we spoke a week ago and then there was a mix up, uh, uh, a confusion with AM and PM times, but this time it looks like uh, we, we, we'll get together. Can you hear us? Yes, I can hear you. Great. Good to see you. How are you doing? Oh, pretty good. <laughs> I'm in Florida, the, you know, the last bastion in the United States of, you know, the home of the brave and free down here. Yeah. <laughs> Did you hear what um, Joel Skousen just told us or parts of what he told us? <clears throat> yes, I, I, I heard parts of that. Yes. What do you think as far as the economic consequences of this are concerned what does your computer model tell you <clears throat> well the, <clears throat> the uh, computer model that i designed was from being a hedge fund manager all right that <clears throat> i used to deal with all the OPEC money in geneva back in the 1980s and um what i i saw all the top brokers and everything they were all there in geneva then the money starts shifting to Japan. And then the talent moved along with the money. Um, then Japan peaks and, and crashes in 1989. Uh, and then it's what happens in the field is more or less the same thing like when Greece got into trouble and um, went to the IMF for loans. And then, you know, everybody, in the trading rooms, they were attacking Greece. And then Greece, you know, had a, you know, the peg and everything broke. And then they just kind of licked their lips and say, oh, gee, who's next? Oh, looks like Portugal, Spain. Oh, look at France. I mean, this is the way capital moves. All right. So once Tokyo crashed in 89, they did the same thing. Oh, gee, what's next? Let's, oh, let's go to Southeast Asia. So then that was the big thing. Then 97, you had the Asian currency crisis. And that was basically, they said, oh, gee, the euro is coming in 98. Let's run over there. So you have this capital rushing around the world. And it, it's nothing that's actually new. It, you can online get Herbert Hoover's memoirs. And I suggest reading 1931. Uh, he spoke about the same thing. He said how, you know, once the uh, Austrian bank failed, et cetera, and, and there was like a really a war that began in, in the financial markets back then, too. And 
um, he basically said the Capitol acted like a loose cannon on the deck of a ship in the middle of a hurricane. He said it was rushing from one currency to the next so fast they couldn't form a committee quick enough to even figure out what was going on. So it, you know, it's the same scenarios over and over again. And, you know, history repeats mainly because human nature never changes. And that's really the common, you know, I would say denominator, no matter what you want to look at throughout history or whatever. So um, the computer that I developed tracked all the capital flows. And in the uh, mid-1980s, we had a, a client, the Universal Bank of Lebanon. <clears throat> they had found a, a ledger in their basement. Uh, with somebody had written down the Lebanese pound every day, you know, back to, I think, 1850 or whatever it was. And they asked us if we could, you know, do a model. I said, sure, fine. And they sent it over. We put it in. And the computer came out and said, your country's going to fall apart in eight days. I thought something was wrong. I called them. I said, look, I mean, something's got to be wrong with this data. It says your country's going to fall apart here. And he calmly said to me, he says, well, what currency do you think would be best? <laughs> and I said, excuse me? Um, I said, well, it says the Swiss franc. He said, oh, okay, fine. Thank you very much. Eight days later, that was the Civil War began. The same thing happened. We had a client in uh, Saudi Arabia. And he was big in shipping. And he called and he says, gee, what do you think gold's going to do tomorrow? Um, Iran's going to start attacking shipping in the Gulf. I said, are you telling me a war's going to start tomorrow? He says, yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you think gold's going to do? Um, so I began to see that clearly if you were going to invade a country, um, you know that you have an information. So what do you do? You start you know, moving your assets uh, out of that area and, and strategically making a, a financial position. Um, so in 98, uh, I did a, a, a conference in London and I didn't realize at the time, but somebody from the London Financial Times said snuck in the back. And I stood up and, and our model was saying that Russia was going to collapse. <clears throat> uh, we saw about a, a hundred billion in capital flows going in and about 150 billion coming out. So uh, I said, look, I give it about 30 days. And that was the collapse of the Russian bond market, long-term capital management crisis, all of that. That's when the CIA came to us and they realized that this computer could project the rise and fall countries. <laughs> Um, and I said, look, you know, we'd be glad to run any models that, you know, study that you want, no problem. And that wasn't good enough. They basically then said, no, we have to own it. I said, I'm sorry, it's not for sale. And that began my confrontation, I guess, with the government in that sense, that uh, from their perspective, they didn't want anybody else having any advance notice. Uh, so I suppose that's the, the whole thing. But what the computer projects, uh, and I've, you know, have been running around the world. I 
have advised numerous governments, met plenty of heads of state, uh, and <clears throat> I run into different, you know, uh, get called in by central banks around the world. In fact, uh, with the Asian currency crisis in 97, I was <clears throat> uh, called in by China's central bank. Uh, <clears throat> now, dealing with most of these central banks, uh, in all honesty, most of them have no clue what they're doing. Um, you get a lot of 23-year-old kids that just graduate university and they immediately go in, in the government. I mean, even Fauci uh, did the same thing. I mean, you know, some doctors have said, have you ever held a stethoscope to somebody's chest? You know? <laughs> um, and, and this is, you know, a real big problem. But when I went to China, I was very impressed. Um, and China had sent these people out and they worked on trading desks in New York, uh, Tokyo, London, etc. Then they went back to, to work for the central bank. So when I got there at first, I'm thinking I'm just going to have to listen to some bureaucrats. That's it. I went there mainly because I wanted to go see the, uh, <clears throat> the, the great wall. Mm -hmm. Um, and when I got there, what was interesting was that they, um, they were all traders and they said, yeah, you know, you're right about these capital flows, all the money's moving to, to Europe for the Euro. That's what the Asian currency crisis is about that you're doing really a good job, you know, keep it up. I said, well, why don't you come out and, and, you know, and support what I'm saying. And they immediately said, gee, we can't come out and criticize another central bank. So even back then, they realized that, you know, there's certain things you can say, certain things you can't. Uh, and that's indicative today when you start looking at what Biden's doing to Putin. Mm -hmm. You know, you just don't do this. Uh, what he's, you know, calling them war criminals and all kinds of, you know, things of this nature. I mean, you could you say the same thing about just about every U.S. president. I mean, there were troops in Afghanistan accused of of uh, war crimes, and same thing in 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 Vietnam. That doesn't mean that the head of the state is a war criminal. Mm -hmm. um, but if you're going to use that standard, fine. Biden bombed a whole bunch of civilians there by mistake with with you know drones. All right. So in, in Iraq, I mean you. But you don't go with this kind of attack. And in doing that, you're really cutting off any possibility of negotiations. And that's really the, the seriousness of, of what's taking place here. And there are neocons, which I call, which are basically on both sides. Um, you know, that it's the second tier of people and, and they just simply want war. They just always hate everybody else. I mean, if you look at all the wars that even the United States have gotten involved in, they lied about everyone. Um, you can even Google it uh, about, you know, <clears throat> uh, FDR did the same thing that Biden is doing to Russia right now. 
He put in all kinds of sanctions, cut off their oil, which was coming from the United States, then froze all their assets in the United States. So then um, he did everything he possibly could do and then said he was going to block them from getting oil from any place else. So they attacked Pearl Harbor. Uh, there were actually Senate investigations because a lot of information came up and it turned out the U.S. had broken the, the codes of the Japanese in advance. They pulled all the, the, the newer ships out, the, the carriers, etc., and left the, the ships there from World War I. Hmm. And they were, you know, he knew that they were going to attack. And then, oh, my God, you know, we've been attacked to get us into the war because Congress would never vote for that. So, you know, it's, it's provoking. And this is... And, the same thing. I mean, you can also Google and you'll find on, you know, President Johnson admitted that, you know, Vietnamese never attacked the United States. Right. And Wikipedia says, well, for all I know, they were shooting at whales that night. Uh, weapons of mass destruction never existed. I mean, they want war and they create it. Uh, and there are these neocons that on both sides that just hate the other side, period. Uh, one of them is Hillary Clinton. Mm -hmm. And what I ended up in the middle of, uh, you have this guy, Bill Browder, running around claiming to be the Putin's number one enemy. And if he really was, he'd be dead by now. But um, he's he was a partner with Edmund Stafford, who uh, owned Republic National Bank. Uh, they had started this hermitage capital in, in Russia. And <clears throat> I was solicited to actually to invest $10 billion in it. And I, you know, declined. I said, look, I, my models are saying Russia is going to fall apart. All right. And so anyhow, uh, well, they claimed that they were all in, interested in, in uh, weeding out corruption in Russia, et cetera. I, I don't personally believe that. Um, I think it was the opposite uh, all the way around. Um, Neither does Joel Skousen, who we just spoke with. <laughs> um, well, I was actually in... You know, tried they tried to get me to invest in this whole project with them, and I said no. So I mean, I understand a, a little bit more behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. uh, they were uh, Edmund Safra was uh, really a hard money guy. He wanted the gold, the diamonds, the oil, etc. And <clears throat> they struck a deal basically with, I believe it was the. Uh, Clinton administration, and they steered of they convinced Yeltsin to steal seven billion dollars from uh, the IMF loans. Wow! They were as soon as the wire went, they steered it through Bank of New York, and it went to Geneva for refurbishing the Kremlin. Um, and I mean, there were even articles in Geneva newspapers. Who is this company? Never, nobody ever heard, heard of them. You know, um, but as soon as the wire took place, Republic National Bank went to the you know Department of Justice and said, "Oh, gee, they just did a money laundering." 
Then what happened was <clears throat> they were blackmailing Yeltsin that this was all going to come out <clears throat> unless you resigned because he was going to run for election in 2000. And they wanted him to uh, appoint Barishnovsky. And <clears throat> that's when uh, this all starts in July of, of uh, 1999. Yeltsin then realizes he's been set up. He then turns to Putin on August 9th. He makes Putin his heir. Uh, <clears throat> and at that point, uh, I had been on the phone uh, and with Republic, and I said, look, you tell Edmund Safra, I'll be in Geneva tomorrow. I, this was August 27th. I was told you can't go to Geneva to see him. Uh, he's fled Geneva for security reasons, went down to Monaco, uh, where he was eventually killed on December 3rd. Um, so I was kind of like in the middle of all this you know, chaos at, at the time. And, but that's actually how Putin came to power. Now, the U.S., you can even look at, there was a, uh, I think it was New York Magazine front cover, they called it the money, uh, the money plane. Republic National Bank was sending skids $100 bills to Russia. And that was all approved by U.S. Treasury. So, uh, I believe that the reason that Hillary was blaming Putin for interfering in the 2016 election was payback mm -hmm. because they were the ones that were trying to interfere in the Russian election in 2000. And uh, that's why Putin actually became very popular because he was seen as defending Russia against the West. Um, I, I know there's a lot of, you know, talk that, oh, he wanted to restore the Soviet Union. Look, he's had 22 years. He's not done that at all. Um, did not invade any other country, did not try and reestablish um, communism or anything of that nature. Uh, so, you know, it's you have to demonize the person in order to get everybody to hate them to justify war. Uh, they did that to Trump. And I can tell you that when Trump was elected, um, <clears throat> I was told from the Washington boys that first they thought it was a fluke. <laughs> and I said, no, you have to understand. He won because it was a vote against you. But there are no mirrors in Washington. They don't want to hear that. Um, and but that's basically the truth. And the, the people in the United States just got fed up with all the corruption, as the, as you've seen in so many other countries, you know, Romania, etc. Um, and that's the whole thing in Ukraine. I mean, Ukraine's one of the top five most corrupt governments in the world. Uh, the IMF was even holding money back from them to, so they start cleaning things up. Uh, which they have never done. Then they start the war and said, oh, it's not fair. You can't hold this money back. Uh, but, you know, this is what you have to really deal with. It's, it's, um, but there's a different incentive here. Yes, the neocons have always tried to create wars. Uh, they've been the ones behind everything. Um, 
I know even Bill Crystal, and we run conferences uh, uh, every year. And Bill Crystal, who's one of the big neocons, uh, actually spoke at one of our conferences. I knew you know Bill like 30 years ago, but he's gotten, I would say, extremely right these days. But he even wrote the book to justify the invasion of Iraq. So uh, I know these people, you know, I've even shaken hands with Klaus Schwab. Um, so the thing here is, is that uh, we began our conferences, they're, they're called the World Economic um, Conference. Our first one uh, was 1985. Before then, I would just do, you know, uh, run to, you know, Toronto, do one uh, for an audience of maybe about 25 or 30 institutions and then off to Vancouver, things of that nature. And then they said, gee, it would be, you know, it'd be really nice if you just like had one and everybody could come together. So I said, all right, that's a good idea. We did that in 1985 and Klaus started his then in 87. Everybody more or less thinks that whatever I do, Klaus ends up doing uh, following. Well, he, did, uh, they did. He, he set up the World Economic Forum in 71. That, yes. His first real world conference was 1987. Okay. Um, before then, he was doing more or less what I was doing, small sessions here and there. All right. They weren't um, like this world, you know, gathering at that, at that stage. Um <clears throat> They even did a, a movie on me called The Forecaster. The very guy that did the movie on me, Schwab calls and then asks him to do the movie on him um, two years later. So it's, you know, a lot of people think it's always been, you know, back and forth. But the difference <clears throat> is that um, Schwab really is a leftist <clears throat> academic. And he really does believe in Marxism and things of this nature. And um, these people think that Marxism would have worked had they also had the United States and Europe in. And that the only reason communism failed was simply because it was only in Russia and China. Mm. Uh, <clears throat> look, you know, this is the way they want to see the world, you know, but... Um, and most people don't understand really the history of Russia either. Um, and why Putin is not the worst you could possibly have. It's the guys that's standing behind him. Um, Russia uh, with Lenin, Lenin wanted to create, yes, a communist world, but he believed in states' rights. He basically wanted uh, all the independent republics to still have a, uh, a right to secede, etc. And that's why he basically was against Stalin. Stalin didn't see it that way. Stalin wanted uh, to dominate everything. So, um, you know, Lenin had his stroke and he sent a letter to uh, basically pleading with him not to appoint Stalin. And he, you know, he basically, he did. Uh, he, they said he even imprisoned Lenin so he couldn't show up. 
Um, and so the, the difference between the, the Soviet Union under Stalin versus Lenin was really very much authoritarian. And uh, so that's a real problem. You, you have Putin who's come out and even disagreed with Lenin. He says he was just a Bolshevik. He's not in favor of communism or anything of that nature or reestablishing the Soviet Union. However, you know, uh, the number two guy over there has actually come out and said that Stalin's great purge was necessary. Who's the number two uh, guy? Um, oh, I forget his name. He appears on TV a lot. The, um, I think he's the secretary of like foreign affairs or something. Mm -hmm. um, and he's the one that's also come out and said, this is, we're already in total war with the uh, United States. Um, and, and he's correct. I mean, it's basically what's going on. Um, they do know, uh, I think they understand these neocons. And the neocons will, are really, I think, in complete control of the White House. Uh, and they're different than the deep state or different than the military. Um, the Pentagon's actually been trying to throw cold water on a lot of this. And Biden keeps coming out with these wild statements. So um, uh, it's very you know, questionable what is going on when you had a, the Munich Security Conference. That should have been the Secretary of State over there. Instead, they sent the VP. And I can tell you that um, people that I knew in, in Washington, because uh, I, I, I should say, I was, um, before 1999, I used to be part of the vetting process. So if I was um, so he wanted to run for president. They would have me meet with them. And uh, supposedly, I mean, I was there to tell them about how the world economy really works. Um, but at the same time, I was asked, do you think the guy, there's a light on and he understands what you're talking about? So before 99, it was always a question of, do you think they're qualified? Then I finally, I got a call and said, look, we want you to go down and meet with George Bush Jr. in Texas. I said, yeah, okay, fine. And they said, no, this one's different. I said, what's different? They said, no, he's really stupid. I said, excuse me? Um, I said, why would you make somebody stupid president? And they said, look, you know, um, he's got the name. So we'll win. Uh, now, I don't think he's anywhere close to being as bad as, as Biden. <laughs> mm -hmm. But ever since then, uh, that's been the objective there. Even Obama never attended 60 or 65% of his morning briefings. They want a, a, um, a president who just basically will sign whatever they stick in front of them. And, and they have won that day with Biden. Um, you know, sometimes he, he thinks he's the vice president. You know? <laughs> um, it, it's, it's, it's pathetic. But then you have this guy standing up and calling other people war criminals and stuff. I don't think he has 
any, you know, no president ever in, in the history before Biden has ever done that to a foreign major player. Because, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, even Kennedy shook hands with Khrushchev, all right? Um, we don't get to that point. I mean, what he's doing is you're cutting everything off. So now at this stage in the game, um, I was also asked uh, when, I think jokingly, when Harris was appointed VP, uh, some friends of mine down there said, gee, you should come down here. We could use your help. I said, for what? Uh, we have to show her a map where countries they even are. Oh I said, you've got to be kidding. And, and indeed, just look at her statements. Oh, Ukraine is this small country. It's next to this bigger country. And I mean, there's no, uh, no clue what she's even talking about. But at that Munich conference, um, I think probably one of these neocon handlers behind the scenes looked her this thing and she says, oh, gee, by the way, you know, uh, Ukraine should join NATO. Four days later, <clears throat> Putin invades. Um, I think they, this has been all orchestrated from, you know, they need it. And it, it's the real crisis here is on the economic side that uh, people don't quite understand because the, the press hasn't really talked about it. But when the ECB lowered interest rates to negative in 2014, I warned, I said, this is a disaster. You're going to completely destroy your bond markets. And I don't think it's intentional. I think you just have people there that are incompetent in knowing what they're actually doing longer term. And so they went negative in 2014. They're still negative. They can't get out of it. But in the meantime, you then have laws that say, uh, the pension funds have to buy, depending upon where you are, anywhere between 70 to 90% government bonds. Well, a pension fund needs 8% to break even. Um, we have pension funds that ask us, could we design a portfolio for them that's green so they can say they're green without losing money? <laughs> because they lose money on this stuff. Um, and one of them told me, he says, well, it's a noble way to lose money. <laughs> I said, that's very nice, you know, but uh, you're wiping out the pension funds with this. And so now you have all the pension funds insolvent in Europe. Uh, they can't raise the interest rates. The, the bond market's done. Uh, nobody will buy European government debt that's negative and for what, for 10 years or something? Um you know, I had meetings in New York and the top banks in New York will no longer even accept any European sovereign debt as collateral, period. Um, that started with the repo crisis in August of 19. And people didn't understand what that was about. But it was the U.S. banks refusing to make markets uh, overnight for the European banks because they didn't want to hold any of this um, government debt. And 
particularly after Merkel said that if Deutsche Bank went down, then they weren't going to be bailed out. So why would you want to take something from them knowing that the German government is not going to bail them out? I mean, that was like, you know, terrible. So the Fed had to step in and start providing liquidity for the for the overnight uh, markets in, in the repo. So this has been building since August of 19. So at this stage in the game, they need war. Um, I'm not sure they think that it will lead to World War III, but they just need a distraction desperately. Um, you already have the ECB out and blaming the inflation on, on uh, Putin. Uh, I mean, the inflation started long before this, and it was basically you had all this crazy stuff with the uh, going green. Um, you know, it's nice to do that, fine, but you should have the alternatives actually up, uh, and they don't. It's like they just hate fossil fuels so much so that, well, let's knock them out now and we'll worry about it later. Um, you know, this is not, you know, not the way to run a, to run a government, really. Um, and you've got inflation there in Germany at like almost 23%. That's the real um, inflation. Because yeah. they keep telling us it's oh it's a little higher than usual, but maybe no more than maybe five, six, seven percent. But if you take no, into account the energy costs, then you probably do end up at twenty-three percent. Well, it was the wholesale prices that were up twenty-three percent year over year. Whoa! Um, and the month-to-month -month change was almost seven percent. So it's it's just you know. Look, politicians are never going to tell the truth about anything. Uh, it's just the way it is. Um, uh, I've been called into many things uh, around the world, mainly because I understand what, they're do what they do and how to do it. Uh, when uh, the pound was being attacked by Soros, I was called. And I, I said, gee, what's your computer say? I said, you know... It, can you withstand it? I said, well, it's going to cost you at least, you know, 10 billion pounds a day for maybe about 20, 30 days. They said, you're kidding. I said, look, you should devalue the pound. It's overpriced. That's the whole problem. And they said, we can't because Major ran in the election promising not to devalue the pound. So I thought about it. I said, all right, fine. Wrote a little paragraph. I said, here, have them say this. We're going to allow the pound to float to seek its own level. They said, oh, thank you. Brilliant. <laughs> it's the same thing. All right. But he's just not acknowledging that he's deliberately doing it. It's the market that did it. So you have to give them this uh, political out. And that was my concern about COVID. Once the government gets involved, you're never going to get them to admit that there's a problem with the vaccines or anything. Uh, it's just, it's not going to happen because then they have to admit that they made a mistake and, oh, gee, you might vote me out. Um, so it only gets more and more draconian. Uh, and, and unfortunately, that's the future that we kind of face here. Mm -hmm. So they need the war because the financial system itself, they have successfully collapsed. Um, back in the Great Depression, when Keynesian economics came, <clears throat> came to the forefront, 
the number one criticism was that Hoover was running balanced budgets. So the government was not the main uh, problem. All right. So if you raised lower or lowered interest rates, you would affect us directly. It didn't affect the government. Today, the government is the biggest borrower. So you raise interest rates to try and stop inflation. Good luck. You increase their costs and they spend more because no politician is going to stand there and say, oh, gee, the central bank wants us to spend less. Yes, let's do that. No, you know, it. So Keynesian economics has completely failed. Uh, the central banks are no longer able to control them, you know, inflation or anything at, at this stage in the game. And they're just flying by the seat of their pants. And this is the problem. So when <clears throat> Klaus Schwab says you own nothing and you'll be happy. A lot of people go, oh, he's, he's this communist, whatever. No, he's not actually saying that. What he's doing is he's selling you an excuse. The government has to default. But if they defaulted, there's going to be millions of people with pitchforks running down to the parliament and dragging them out. All right. So he makes it sound like we're doing this for you to help you because you're in trouble. All right. So we're going to relieve you of all your debts. You own nothing. Don't worry about it. And you'll be happy. You'll still live in your house. All right. Um, but he's making it sound they're doing it for you. While, in fact, the governments just have to completely fail. All right. And then the guaranteed basic income, that's to replace the pension funds they've wiped out. Uh, so it's. Uh, this is the real agenda behind this, all right? And the COVID restrictions and things of this nature uh, were more or less, if you look at Schwab's uh, eight points for 2030, um, oh, you'll re we'll retain some of the, the benefits of democracy. They want to end democracy. Um, and... <clears throat> There's a 2016 piece from the London Financial Times that was at Davos. When Trump was elected, they were scared to death. And suddenly democracy became populism, this evil populism. Why was it evil? Because the people didn't know what they were doing. They voted a career politician out and put in this buffoon is the way they tried to pre present it. So that's why they have to get rid of democracy, because they don't want the people to actually vote in somebody that's different. Now, in Europe, Schwab had a hand in the way your political system was structured. Uh, you get to vote for a parliament, which has no right to overrule the commission. The commission is the one that makes the laws. Your head of state is appointed. All right. And doesn't she doesn't stand for election curiously enough when that same system is is in play in russia it's authoritarian uh oh it's democracy against authoritarianism i'm sorry you know you know putin also has to be reelected in 2014 
Um, and it's the heads of state there or the parliament that appoints them. All right. So it's the same thing as how the head of Europe is appointed. Uh, the people don't vote for her directly. Um, so it, this is the system that they're really trying to create, you know, and the idea that there's got to be this one world government for climate change is, um, you know, I, I put on our site also, there's a clip from uh, Merkel and Holland from France standing up in parliament and saying the whole purpose of the EU, one government to stop European war. Uh, that they think that um, European wars have happened, you know, it's Italy against this or whatever. And so if there's just one government, that will end the war. And that's just not true. I mean, look at the Roman Empire. Mm -hmm. Lasted for a thousand years, one government, but there are plenty of civil wars. <laughs> um, you know, even Caesar crossed the Rubicon because the, the Senate was so corrupt, it was crazy. Um, he created the Julian calendar. I mean, you talk about corruption. The high priest was in charge of uh, putting in the leap days. So they would just bribe him. And look, we don't want to go to election right now. So add a couple months, will you please? Mm -hmm. So that's why, you know, the Julian calendar, he, he eliminated that corruption. But I mean, people, you know, politicians are politicians. They've always been doing this no matter how far back in history you go. But one thing you mentioned a little earlier that in August of 2019, when we had the repo crisis because U.S. banks didn't want to lend any money to European banks, it was part of the reason was that Merkel said that they're not this time. We're not going to save Deutsche Bank. My question is. Did she do this on purpose? Was did somebody tell her to say this or is she just plain stupid? No, they are plain stupid, really. That's I mean, she I said that because she was objecting to Greek banks being bailed out. Yeah. So she couldn't then turn around and say, all right, fine, but we're going to bail out Deutsche Bank. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, a lot of this is just posturing mm -hmm. back and forth. And um I think the, the problem with a lot of these conspiracy theories is that they attribute far too much uh, knowledge to these people. A lot of this is taking place because they are just stupid and incompetent. <laughs> um, it, it's, you know, it, it's not that they have thought this out. I'm not, I, I have yet to see any evidence that they realized by putting in all these COVID restrictions that they would have created a, uh, a supply chain crisis. You know, they, they think of only the thing in front of them. They're not dynamic thinkers where they connect all the dots. Mm -hmm. um, and <clears throat> you just had California passing this law saying that all trucks have to have their engines replaced by January, no diesels, et cetera, in the midst of a, <clears throat> of a problem of a supply chain crisis where they say we're short 80,000 truckers to begin with. Um, I mean, 
But don't don't you think that's part of the agenda? I mean, to to wreak havoc, you know, like uh, as much as you can. I don't, I would assume this is not just stupidity. I. I... <laughs> I think it's gone further than they anticipated. And when you look at um, the guy from this governor in California, uh, I don't think he's that smart, you know, and <laughs> I really don't. Uh, but they, maybe, it's, maybe it's not about the person that you see, you know, like it's maybe not about the puppet in, the, in, in front. Maybe he's really not so, so clever, but the ones behind, must be i mean this seems to be like an agenda i mean also what we see like if you have like supply problems for like diesel why wouldn't you uh, just um, you know lower the the taxes because I, most of it is absorbed by the government anyway of what we pay for for gasoline and all these things so i mean it doesn't make any sense so it's all these things that are that don't make much sense but are toxic for the public um at large well there are in the U.S., there are some states that get it, and they're lowering taxes because of it. Um, <clears throat> I, I, you know, I think that you have this agenda of a of a neocons, and they just want <clears throat> they can't sleep at night as long as Russia still breathes. And I, I don't think they realize the scope of this. I mean, uh, there's a I put on our site a, a clip of Hillary Clinton saying that, you know, you know, Ukraine can actually defeat Russia. It's a, you know, they lost in, in Afghanistan by attrition. They don't seem to really think that it would go nuclear or anything of that nature. Um, but actually, I, I seriously doubt that. I mean, uh, if you push Putin up against the wall. His legacy is has always been to uh, restore respect for Russia, uh, and I, I think you you move it to the point of uh, really trying to crush Russia, they will retaliate. But I, I know from people that I uh, talk to that if you remove Putin, the people behind him are far more aggressive, and. If anything, they're complaining that Putin's been too soft. Um, and uh, you, he has not tried to, to conquer all of Ukraine. Uh, he wanted up to the river, which was where the Russian people were. Um, I have friends both in, in Donetsk and as well as Kiev. Um, and... <clears throat> Uh, he did not want to destroy Kiev because that was the original uh, birthplace of, of Russia. Uh, so he had more respect for that than a lot of the people behind him. Uh, I, I really think some of the other people have warned about nuclear war at least three times now. Uh, I think that they would push a button and take out Kiev and say, okay, fine, is this what you want? Um, but I'm more concerned that uh, they, they don't necessarily seem to, I mean, they have a, an agenda, but I think there's an awful lot of this which is involved in their own stupidity. Because mm -hmm. uh, you, you look at 
they try threatening China. Oh, if you help Russia, we're going to put these sanctions on you. Uh, you know, even the IMF has come out and warned that the sanctions they put on Russia is undermining the, the world economy and the strength of the dollar longer term. Um, and I don't think they, I mean, I've been sent in to meet with many people, heads of state. I mean, one of the few people that I would say that I ever had any respect for was Margaret Thatcher. I mean, I could actually have an intelligent conversation with her. Most of the others, no. Um, I meet with central banks, no. Um, they don't have trading experience. They don't understand how the markets even function. Um, you know, as I said, you know, when once the traders drew blood on Greece, then they turn around, oh, who's next? That's the way a trading room works. These people don't understand that. They really don't. Now, threatening China, uh, and in all honesty, I would not be surprised that the lockdown in Shanghai is deliberately to make the inflation even worse in, in the West. Shanghai is the, you know, the biggest port in the world. Um, and I mean, there, what, I don't think there's been any deaths from COVID or something in Shanghai, yet they have everybody locked in their houses. Uh, but shutting down that port is only going to make the, the supply chain even worse. Now, I think that is a deliberate strategy from the side of China. Um, and when you're threatening them, or you join them, and then we're going to put these sanctions on you, I mean, it, it's stupid. Um, I mean, so, so, but Martin doesn't, you don't seem to be in disagreement with what Joel Skousen told us. He says there is an agenda. They all have an agenda. Uh, the West, NATO, the U.S. have an agenda. Maybe it's the Great Reset. It probably is the Great Reset. It's been, they've been pushing this for about 100 years. Uh, China and Russia seem to have been uh, on board with the World Economic Forum, but it now looks as though maybe they're not anymore. Now, the thing is, Joel says they, uh, there, there is no... Uh, lesser evil in this game. They're all bad. All three major players, they're all bad. But you're saying on top of their intricate uh, agendas, they're really stupid, or many of them are really stupid. Is, is that what you're yes. saying? The, mm -hmm. the bad part are these neocons. Mm -hmm. Okay. And they exist in, in all of them. All right. And they're still fighting the last war. All right, like, all right, <clears throat> they still call China the communist. Excuse me, communism means the government owns everything. All right, the people own nothing. They're not communists. Um, and neither is Russia. But they will not <clears throat> uh, even consider the things have changed. Mm -hmm. They're their enemies. No matter what they do, they will always be their enemies. That's just the way it is. Um, so those people, I don't think, uh, have any clue about the economic side. Um, I mean, we just had a, a Republicans Senator, um, Marco Rubio 
put out a tweet saying that he's, you know, going to maybe introduce legislation uh, to sanction China if they you know, use their chip system to help uh, Russia. I mean, you know, I just said, him, I said, look, you know, you do that, you have completely destroyed the world economy. It's done. It's finished. There's no globalization anymore. Um, and I don't think they understand this. I don't think they understand the sanctions that they did on Russia are so out of line um, that it, it's there is no coming back from this. So, you know, I'm not so sure that they have um, fully appreciated what they're doing. I think they thought that they could bring the, the great reset about cut off, you know, fossil fuels uh, and things of this nature. The, the two people that, uh, besides Trump, they had to get rid of Trump first because he stood in the way of that. Then the next one was Putin and, and Jing. I mean, they, they think if they just replace those, then the people will embrace them. They're living in a fantasy world. Um, you, you can't stand up and uh, do this to Russia and then expect the people to rise up and say, oh, gee, yes, I want my bottles of Chanel, so let's throw throw Putin out, and I want to be able to go to McDonald's. I mean, uh, <laughs> no, you're attacking the people themselves. Mm -hmm. um, and this is just outrageous. I mean, this is what the United States did to the Japanese and put them all in prison. That's what's coming next. Everybody is a Russian and you're living in whatever country. We're just going to lock you up. Um, you know, it, it's the same sort of thing. And it's it's just disastrous. But uh, Klaus Schwab's idea that you're going to be able to recreate this world for them, it's just not going to happen. Um, our, our computer, and I've warned them constantly, I said, you are just going to destroy the world economy and what will happen out of this um the the financial capital of the world has always moved all right it was with the persians babylon then it moved to athens left athens all right moved to macedonia after that it moved to rome i mean rome then breaks up uh, even after the Dark Ages, all right, fine, you know, first it was Italy, it, Spain defaulted on the Italian bankers, took them out, then it moved to Germany, then they defaulted on them, then eventually you had the Dutch, then the, the Dutch lose it, then it went to Britain, then from Britain it went to the United States. We're going to lose it. And where is it going? It's going right back um, to China. I mean, that's where these things go. When Rome fell and Byzantium fell, the next financial capital became India. And from India went to China. And that's why Columbus uh, wanted to set sail to go to India because that's where all the riches were. It was the financial capital of the world. That's why he set sail, all right? So it's just time. I mean, we're gonna lose it. No country seems to last much beyond about 224 years 
in the driver's seat. Um, and if you want to read a little bit about uh, history, I see this as very similar to the fall of Athens. Uh, Athens formed a, you know, a, a league and forced everybody to pay into it. And they would protect them against the next possible invasion from Persia. All right, which never, never came. So they were paying all this money in Athens. Athens became very arrogant, like the United States. <clears throat> and that led to the Peloponnese War. All right. And then Athens falls in 404 BC. All right. It's, <clears throat> I see this as the same thing. The United States um, is living off of its arrogance, the same as Athens did. All right. Athens defeated, you know, <clears throat> Persia on, when they did invade. So then they became the major power. Um, United States, all right, we defeated, you know, the, you know, the uh, <clears throat> Nazis, the communists, etc. So U.S., all right, we got, we're supporting Europe, we're doing all this. It's the same thing. Uh, U.S. is going to decline, and then it's going to move to China. Um, and China will surpass our economy, Um probably this year mm -hmm. as, as the number one economy. Uh, and look, they know what's going on. <clears throat> um, I mean, our models, <clears throat> I would have to explain to people in the West. In Asia, I never had to explain a cycle even exists as part of their religion. Um, the, a, a, the, Asians think in cycles, all right? And <clears throat> that's what Jing is saying. He you know, is fulfilling the destiny. They know China's going to rise again, all right? And the West, we think literally that it's just a straight line, and it's just not. There are, there are booms and busts all the time. Um, so I don't see this as their grand plan of being able to create the UN as this one world government. Uh, they're going to lose. Mm -hmm. They're absolutely going to lose. Uh, China will emerge as the, the next financial capital of the world, probably after 2032. Uh, I don't think we have much more than about 10 years left. Um, our computer showing that um, as far as the geopolitical concerns are, uh, it's if it, it would probably hide underneath my bed if it had legs, because <laughs> I think that's what's basically you're going to see in 2023. Um, and then we're looking at uh, this going into probably engulfing most of the war, uh, the whole world, you know, between 24 to 28 in particular. Um, now, just look at, at Pakistan. All right, Khan said, oh, this is a plot from the U.S. and the CIA to overthrow him, climate, you know, regime change, etc. No, it's not. Um, it, it is basically inflation. Mm -hmm. that The people have risen up. You're talking about a lot of these third world countries like this, that people live hand to mouth. And you drive the price of energy up dramatically you're causing civil unrest so what you've seen in pakistan is going to be repeated in many countries around the world 
They're going to blame their politicians. The politicians don't understand what's going on. And this is all because of this wonderful green world we're trying to create. And let's cut off uh, fossil fuels right now. Uh, and without any consideration of what's happening in third world countries. Um, you know, fine, maybe things are a little bit better in, in Europe and the United States and, and we can endure it. Uh, perhaps more, but then you go to some of these third world countries, forget it. I mean, why is, is India lining up with, with Russia? Because they know. They know what's going on. I mean, we have some Indian people on our staff, actually. Um, and, you know, it's, this is just the way it is. The United States is like Athens. It's become too arrogant. Um, and you look at those eight points of Schwab, and even in there he has, the United States will no longer be a superpower. It will be shared among nations. That's the UN. That's their agenda. That's why the WHO is in there with all the, the vaccine nonsense. Uh, and uh, they have traumatized everybody, and they've done a pretty good job of it. So, I mean, that's part of the agenda. I think COVID was phase one to get control of people and intimidate them. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to have the war, which is basically, oh, see, you've got this threat. Putin's going to come in and invade all of Europe. You need, you know, you need to vote for Macron. Um, and do they really think there's going to be World War III? Probably not. Um, but I've looked at, at a lot of the assessments uh, from the military. And they even said that the U.S. would lose in a, in a war with China. Um, I'm not sure the politicians have even read some of the same things that I've read. Um, so is there a, you know, I, I think there's a, an element of this as being just stupidity. Uh, but you do have the neocons who are, you know, definitely they can't sleep at night without taking down China and, and Russia. And then you have the Schwab side that want to create this new world of order. Um, so you bring it, all this together, you know, and it's it's kind of a, a mismatch. But um, you've got Soros in there who's like funding a lot of things for uh, um, <clears throat> the one world government. He's been funding the um, movement to defund the police in the United States, which creates the civil unrest in order to, to take the power away from the United States uh, to uh, the UN. And you have you know Bill Gates running around. He can't sleep at night because there's too many people on the planet. You know, uh, <laughs> so it is it one mind or is it just an, a, you know, a conglomeration of all these people kind of like together. Mm -hmm. But um, I, I think a lot of it from the people that I know, um, like I say, I've met plenty of politicians and heads of state throughout my career. I don't think there's a single one of them today that I could sit down and have an intelligent conversation with. Uh, it's, it's, just that bad um well it is very 
worrisome on the one hand, but it's also encouraging on the other hand, because it tells us that we, those who are trying to um, lead intelligent conversations, for example, those who are, try who are asking questions and trying to look through this, that we can do much more than we think. Uh, because if you take your perspective and um, and um, Joel's perspective, then I do believe his his perspective is get out of the cities, prepare for the worst and hope for the best. Um, his perspective is there's nothing we can do to avoid the war. You're saying, yes, they do want war um, for one reason, because they need another distraction from what they did to the economy, how they have looted and plundered, plundered our uh, public coffers. So they do need war, but it's not necessarily World War III. And you're saying it is inevitable, your computer models tell you this, it is inevitable that the U.S. will lose its uh, dominance and it will have to cede it uh, to China. Um, it, and, and you're also saying this is going to happen or the China will take over as a, a, a world's powerhouse as far as the economy is concerned, even this year. And a few years later, they're going to be the number one power. Will they use their power to dominate other countries or will they just be content being the number one economic power? The whole uh, problem here that these people don't understand is that what makes world peace? It's trade. All you have to do is look at the Roman Empire. They conquered all these various different areas. Then they benefited. For various different things, and they shipped it and sold it to, to the Romans in, in Italy. And it was beneficial to everything. All right. It's world trade that creates it. So as long as we were trading with Russia then you don't bite the hand that, that feeds you. You're not going to send a, a nuclear missile to wipe out the person that's, that you're making all the money from. Cutting off the trade with China it is so disastrous, it's unbelievable. Uh, then what incentive does China have not to do any, to wipe out the United States? Well, we no longer need you. All right. The U.S., economic power came from the standpoint that it had the largest consumer-based economy in the world. Mm -hmm. It was the consumer that was created world peace. BMW, Porsche, they could sell their cars to Americans, all right? Um, that benefited everybody, all right? So you have to understand it's world trade that creates the, the, the world peace not nuclear weapons, all right? China's got the supersonic. They could take out the U.S. missile system before we could even push the button. Um, let's get real here. I mean, it, this is, you know, it, it's not nuclear weapons that create world peace. This is all, you know, nonsense. It's, it's getting along with each other and making sure that the Russian people can get their bottles of Chanel and that's what they want. Uh, and then you, you work together. But once you cut off that trade, it is disastrous. 
there's no longer an incentive for world peace anymore. And that's where we're going. Um, are, are there, can you see, or does your computer model um, uh, see anything that is moving in the opposite direction that's trying to stave this off? Because, I mean, it's very, um, it's very convincing that the other side needs to do something because i think we have um we we have a paper that was it's a kind of a summary that was written by blackrock um with respect to the um central bankers meeting in jackson hole wyoming in i think it was in august 2019 or so or maybe a little earlier than that and uh, the summary it's i'm not um I'm not uh, uh, quoting this verbatim, but the summary sort of says, oh my God, they're onto us. They know what, what's going on. We have to do something drastic to divert their attention. Well, the first drastic thing they did is to uh, start to roll out their agenda, uh, the COVID agenda, the Corona agenda. And now they need something even more drastic, the war. So do you see, do, do you see anything? Do you see any politicians, any people of intelligence who see through this and who may um, help us stave this off? Or is it, again, us who will have to do it? Us, the 20 or maybe 40 or 50 percent in the U.S.? I, I think it's us. I mean, a lot, I mean, I was asked if I would dive back into politics. Right? And I said, what are you talking about? What do you want me to do now? They wanted me to go down and talk to Trump to talk him out of running in 2024 and asked if I would then um, advise DeSantis. And I, I said to him, I said, you know, I'm not interested. First of all, I would tell DeSantis, please don't leave Florida. Um, and second of all, I said, you know, <clears throat> I know the way the system works up there. Uh, and you put in DeSantis and they, they eat him for lunch. People don't realize, I mean, when, uh, <clears throat> to go back when I said that, you know, they were making George Bush president, I was asked if I would accept the um, <clears throat> chief economic advisor in the White House. And I said, no, I'm not interested. Thank you. Um, they were the ones picking the cabinet. They were the ones that picked Dick Cheney. It wasn't Bush. All right. And they did the same thing to Trump. They put in Bolton, et cetera. So basically everybody that was there um, in his cabinet, and yes, he was firing people. Why? Because they were all stabbing him in the back. Trump's naivety was that he thought being president meant you actually got to do something. Mm -hmm. uh, the, 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 that's the deep state. They are there. Uh, come hell or high water, they don't care who's elected or whatever. These people that they'll make up a, a conspiracy theory and say, oh, well, George Bush Sr., he was head of CIA or something like that. <clears throat> I, I, look, I can tell you the way that works. You know, yeah, okay, fine. He can be the head of the CIA for two years. Do you really think they walk in and they say, oh, geez, you, you know, this is what's in Area 51. And by the way, we killed this guy, this guy, this guy. They don't do that. They say, gee, you know, uh, are you busy tomorrow? So-and-so wants to play golf. I mean, they arrange that for you. They, they're just political appointees. They do not know from basically the second level all the way down. Because mm -hmm. the second level is always there. 
That's the deep state. They don't move. Uh, you look at uh, this neocon, uh, Victoria Newland. I mean, she was there with the Clintons. She's there now. She's been there through, through, through every Republican press. They don't leave. All right. Uh, so is there any shot of a politician? No. I mean, the ones that just asked me if I would <clears throat> go meet with, with Trump, I even said to him, do you really think you're just going to put somebody in and reverse everything? I said, this is gone. You're not going to reverse this system. And they don't understand. To them, it's just this war. It's us against them. And we get a Republican in here and then we can flip these orders, etc. He has destroyed the world economy by putting those sanctions on Russia, going off uh, after individual Russians, just because you're a Russian, we're going to seize everything because that will make uh, Putin mad. Uh, this is absurd. I mean, that's in violation of every principle of, of international law. So I don't, the people that I've even had conversations with, I don't see them as, as understanding this. They, they really think, gee, you know, I mean, to ask me if I would just talk to Trump and, and talk him out of it and put DeSantis in because he's a better administrator. I mean, this is the way the thinking is. And it's like, you know, I don't know. I think they I'm sometimes just more of the canary in the coal mine. You know, they call me up and say, geez, your computer changes mine yet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and but I don't see that level of intelligence. And that's why I say it's, it's stupidity and incompetence. Mm -hmm. But the people behind that, uh, the neocons, they know what they're doing, but do they understand what the implications are on the world economy? No, because that's not their field. Um, and people like Schwab, um, they're academics. They have no real world experience. And do they really think that they can pull off this great reset without completely destroying the, the world and and you go that far you're not going to be able to build it back better <laughs> yeah um, but i can also tell you that our computers start picking it up in august of 2019 by november of 19 i had rumors that a virus was coming by december bill gates started selling a bunch of his stocks at that time and I can also tell you that I know um, from <clears throat> inside sources that Schwab was then calling friends and saying a virus was coming, and that was by January. So it was all planned. It, they knew what was coming on, and I think it probably was created in a lab and it was deliberately dropped off in China so that they could blame them and force them more into a compliance uh, on a global scale. And I think that has backfired. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what this all tells us is, uh, again, just like Joel said, um, we can't rely on anyone. The system is completely broken. 
uh, we have to set up our own system because the old system is about to collapse. They know it. That's why they need the distraction. That's why they need the war. And we'll just see and hope for the best that this war is not going to uh, turn into a World War III, which you don't think it will. Now, I think it will. Um, but does that mean nuclear weapons blowing everything up? Uh, I think perhaps strategically they might do that, oh, you know, if I was them, I'd take out Washington. But you know, that's that's the way they they uh, they operate. I mean, if you take out in, in a battle, you go after the the king. You take out the king, and then the army stops. You know, mm -hmm. that's you know, that's just been a very old strategy. Mm -hmm. So um, it's debatable. But I, I think you you are heading into World War Three. There's no question about that. Uh, how does that mean that you know? nukes are going to rain down upon everything in the world probably not but strategically yes there probably be some places that are taken out i mean the arrogance of these people um just to even say trying to threaten china if you do this we're going to put sanctions on you it's absurd yeah. absolutely absurd um so they're not really in touch with reality. They have their academic models and they have their agenda. Probably, they, they probably have had this agenda, this eugenics and great reset agenda and one world government agenda for at least a hundred years, maybe 150. But in the meantime, I guess there's so much, I don't know, maybe there's been so much inbreeding that they just can't think straight anymore. And maybe that's why you're saying that there's lots of stupidity out there apart from the arrogance. Yeah, I mean, I I've was I was down in Australia and met with uh, uh, one guy who who's the head of economics for a university, and <clears throat> invited me over there and and I showed him a report that had some charts in it and he actually dropped it like it was on fire. Because you believe in that stuff? I said, well. Excuse me, I said, but most of the traders in New York use charts, okay? And, oh, I would fire somebody if they looked at, at that. I said, well, you know, the old story of, of General you know, Patton, Rommel wrote a book, all right? He read it, and he defeated him. Know what your, uh, your opposition is, how he thinks, and what he's going to do. It doesn't matter what it is that you think. But uh, look, that's that's just simply the way the world is right now. Um, <clears throat> I think the U.S. will break up. I think the same thing with the EU. Yeah, maybe um, the EU first. Maybe the EU first. Yes, probably EU first. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, you're just going to have, you know, look when they formed the EU, the the Commission even came to our conference in London. Mm -hmm. It took the whole back row. I told them stupidity. They thought, oh, well, one currency, so everybody will pay the same interest rate. And that was all in the newspapers. That's how they sold it. And I oh, said, yeah, that's yeah, not yeah. going to happen. <laughs> they were comparing it simply to the United States. Yeah. I said, yes, fine. You're only looking at the federal level. Every state borrows and they all have different interest rates depending upon their creditworthiness. Mm -hmm. And they're just kind of looking at me like, really? Yes, this is what's going to happen. All right. 
I'm telling you, I've dealt with, you know, everybody around the world from Asia to Europe. I mean, the intelligence is not there. I believe it. If it was, they wouldn't be calling me in. <laughs> and I wouldn't have a visit. <laughs> Well, Martin, this was uh, eye-opening. Um, I think, again, a lot of people will take a fresh look at what they used to think. Um, I, I also find this very encouraging. Ultimately, I find this very encouraging because, again, it's up to us. And we're not as stupid as they are, I don't think. No, I mean, look, it's history repeats because the passions of, of humanity never change. Yeah. Um, a mother still cried when her son was killed in battle in Roman times as she would today. Uh, that does not change. The only thing that changes is that maybe we don't, you know, chuck spears anymore, we push buttons, you know, yeah. but, uh, it, you know, it's still the same thing. So the, the corruption is, is there. These people that often want to manipulate us or control us. Um, they're not the smartest. They don't understand the whole system. They just see one thing and they want to you know, change it. I mean, um, why did communism fail? Uh, I mean, I can, I can tell you when I was over to China, I was actually helping them become, com you know, become capitalists at the time. They took me to a room and they were monitoring absolutely everything. Uh, there were 249 varieties of tea. I had no clue there were even that many in China. Um, and the question was, why is this one tea selling for like a dollar here, but five dollars there? I said, well, where does it come from? Well, here. I said, well, first you have transportation costs. They go, oh, really? I said, yes. Okay. Then somebody will pay more for something than uh, <clears throat> because it, it's better than this other one. I was explaining human nature. Mm -hmm. All right. But you have to realize in a communist world, if it's a dollar here, it's a dollar there, even if it costs $10 to get it there. That's why it failed. That's why this all this talk of equality and uh, it, I'm sorry. It, it if if you can catch a football better than I can, you're worth more than I am in a, in a football game. <laughs> Simple as that. Um, and, you know, but they don't see that. You know, so, I think if you you're saying the people who want to manipulate and control us are not the smartest. I think I have to agree with that. I think pretty much everyone will, because why in the first place, why, why are they trying to manipulate and control us? Well, obviously because they're afraid of us. Why are they afraid of us? Because they believe that we're smart enough to see through all this and understand that they've been looting and plundering our public coffers for decades, probably hundreds of years. And that's the truth. So that's that's why I totally agree with you. They're not the smartest people. Yeah, they're not. I mean, uh, honestly, I mean, that was my role was, as going in, meeting people who wanted to run for president. You know, <laughs> what do you think? You know, I mean, it's it was very interesting. I met so many people over the years. Um, and I said, my, my favorite was actually Margaret Thatcher. She, I, we, the two of us could sit down and actually have a conversation. 
She invited me to her house for Christmas parties. I mean, it was just a real, a genuine person um, where I have not found that among any other leaders. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a, one other example. Um, I had more or less the, um, the mandate from Hong Kong. Um, when they were going to be handed back to China. They asked me if I could, you know, maybe negotiate with Australia for them uh, to try and buy an island. I met with uh, who became, you know, Prime Minister Paul Keating. And uh, conversation after conversation and everything was no, no, no. And I said to him, I said, you know, first I, I thought, well, maybe this is racist or something. <laughs> You know, and I and I asked him that. I said, is this a race issue? You just don't like Chinese or something? It's no, no, no. You don't understand. I, I said, what? He said, if they let them in, they would vote conservative because they were fleeing communism. And he was labor. He said, if we let them in, they would change the demographics of Australia. And I said, I got a blank check. I can pay off your national debt. Answer, no. <laughs> it's always politics mm -hmm. and they will choose their own self <clears throat> interest mm -hmm. over the interest of the country every time that's very obvious very obvious in the meantime each and every one of them i don't know any exception right now maybe it was different 30 years ago but not now well that was even what almost 30 years ago mm, yeah <laughs> um so, I mean, I've had a front row seat and I've seen it. I've more or less have seen it all. Um, and it's just, like I said, it was the U.S. that tried uh, taking over Russia in 2000 covertly uh, through the bankers. That failed. That's why Hillary blamed them. And it's just been nonsense ever since. So... This time it's going to have to be us. We shouldn't just we shouldn't even bother with the systems. Set up our own regional systems which are tailor-made for our regional needs uh, instead of uh, looking to the globalists. I think pretty much everyone, at least in our on our side, is totally and completely fed up with that system. And uh, unlike some of the other people who we interviewed, I do not believe that it makes any sense to try and reform the system to fix the system. It's totally, completely broken. Yeah, I, I don't I don't see that is even remotely possible. Yeah. Um, I mean, as I said, you know, I know the people in Washington very well. I've testified before, you know, Congress. I mean, I've been to White House dinners. I mean, it's just, I've been there, done that. It's, I know the way it works. Um, and there are just, you know, people that seem to go there, uh, they may, some may start out, altruistically i'm going to make a difference and when they you know at the end of the day they just consume whatever whatever it is i mean uh i mean i can run for congress and say vote for me and i'll give everybody a popsicle all right then i get down there and they go no you have to vote according to the way we tell you and so you look at these votes and they're always down party line mm -hmm. Yeah, because there is this meeting that goes on first. Yeah, 
you've just been elected. You promised whatever you wanted to promise to get elected. Then you get down there and we don't care about that. Yeah. Now you're going to vote the way we tell you to. So this is not democracy. No. This is we're in a republic. Yeah. Um, democracy should be where we get to vote. Do we invade or do we not? Well, the thing um, is, democracy is bottom up and not top down. Globalism is anti-democracy, and you said so. They want to get rid of democracy because if there is dem real democracy, then, of course, they're never, never, ever going to uh, get elected into any office. That's why they have to have this. I think an East, a former East German told me when we were still behind the curtain or on the other side of the wall, we used to think but couldn't really believe that this is fake democracy, what you have in the West. And then the Iron Curtain fall, uh, fell and the, the wall came down and he, and he became a banker, by the way. Um, and he told me <clears throat> we were right all along. It's fake democracy because yes. that's what it has been for decades. They, I mean, the only know. good thing is that it's become so obvious that we're looking at this fake, you know, yeah. sort of the hologram has, has lifted and it's become obvious as really just a, like a Fata Morgana in a way, you know. So I think it's, it's also like an, um, an inspiration. I mean, although we are in a really problematic situation, I think it can also, we can draw inspiration, like, you know, that we really have to get our act together and like stand up and fight for our democracy. And I think that's what we're also here for. That's why we need to, you know, like uh, show this, uh, these problems, make them visible to people. And a lot of people are now seeing what's really going on. So I think that's the only good thing that's now, you know, that has happened since the crisis, the Corona crisis. Yeah, even I think more or less that's what our computer is showing for 2032. It's a little bit more than China just simply becomes the financial capital. It's also that we end up with a new form of government. And I'm more interested in making sure that when we cut the tree, it falls in the right direction. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that we, we have that. And I, <clears throat> most countries will split along the old historical divisions. Mm -hmm. So in the United States, we see it's it's already forming north versus south. Yeah. Um, Alabama just rescinded the law on taxation on sales tax on gold and silver because uh, people are using it, you know, as a hedge, uh, and that's money. So they they just changed it. Um, so we're seeing this developing here. Um, I mean, <clears throat> I you know was born computer came up as the best state to live in was Florida. So I moved mm -hmm. uh, six years ago. And um, um, I'm telling you, it was like nothing happened down here. Uh, it was very, you know, very good. Um, anybody you see wearing a mask are usually some tourists from up north. But that's about it. Well, um, I think on a, I think we should end this on this positive note. Uh, things are falling apart, but it's basically the system which is totally corrupted and unsalvageable anyhow. So we have to be very clear about the fact that there's nobody else except us who will be able to save us. There's no cavalry coming in, uh, no uh, foreign nation that's going to save us. It's going to be us, those 20%. In the US, I think it's probably 40 or 50%, but those 20% here in Germany who still know how to think. But we can do it. 
And uh, yes, and this, he, this is that's what the American Revolution was about. Mm -hmm. Okay, and then the French Revolution. That, that's basically what we're talking about. Yeah, it's changing the system, and that can happen um, from the people side. But there is nobody in government from a, a politician that I could even remotely have any confidence in that would ever ever listen or do anything on our behalf no we will do it i know we can we will do it also. we will we will do it peacefully and uh you know like and relaxed i think that's how we have to do it because <laughs> i think there's no uh you know violence is no uh resolution it's not it's not doesn't make any sense it's no solution no well, yeah. um, Martin, thank you so much. This was, again, very enlightening. We will stay in touch because we're going to have to know more about which way the economy is going to move. Um, and I think you are a really a, a perfect beacon, a, a perfect uh, guide light. So we'll be in touch. We'll stay in touch and we'll talk to you again when the time comes. And I think it'll come sooner than uh, most people expect. Yeah, sooner than, than later, I think, unfortunately, yeah. but well, thank you for inviting me and uh, we just have to get the word out and yes. I agree with you. It's it is up to us. Yeah. Okay, Martin, take care. Thank you very much. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye -bye. Yeah, Viviana. Um, uh, quite, quite interesting. The last two points of view have um, are comparable in a certain sense, but the approach is quite different. Uh, one of them saying the third world uh, war is going to be a nuclear world war, and the other one says, no, it's not going to be that bad, if at all it's strategic. And we are the third people. We think that possibly we can turn it all around, can we? Definitely. I'm still bullish um, because uh, uh, I think they're in a corner now with the system and uh, it's become visible for so many people and this stuff in Shanghai so scary. Many people see this and they wonder what's going on there and this is happening in many countries. I think more and more people are going to wake up and uh, that's what we saw in the film people need to see this and uh, you know the uh, the public broadcaster etc and we need to find different avenues we're one of these avenues which make this visible what's going on and I think this is something this is which is enabling people and people are becoming active they're getting up and we see this worldwide and uh, especially if you get a vaccination certificate or change the job, etc., in other countries, uh, that's also a kind of protest, uh, um, dissenting and leaving the system. I, uh, I don't want to judge whether this is meaningful or not. And uh, there are many ways in which you can uh, refuse to play ball and show that you disagree. And I think that's important. Desmond uh, said it quite rightly. Uh, the voice of the opposition should never be silenced. Otherwise, uh, the system will move into overdrive and eat, eat its own children. So I think it's very important that we continue. You know, we've got the 100th meeting here today and that we continue digging.
And uh, I'm sure that uh, sooner or later we will erode the foundation of this House of Cards and uh, make this whole story topple. Well, at least it makes more sense to uh, take care of real life than uh, working with that old system, which is going to collapse anyway. If I see this here, these roses, they smell beautifully, they smell nice. Okay. Okay. So, do the closing arguments. Well, okay. In Siberia, Kyrgyzstan, wherever you are. Well, I'm elsewhere, anyway. Um, so, we had a very interesting meeting, I think, and we had lots of interesting aspects. Uh, it's great that we um, looked at these topics and that we gave a voice to those people who have been looking at these issues for quite some time. So it was also aired in English. It's very important that also other countries are being informed and that they get an impression of what's going on in Germany. Now, um, thank you very much. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, also for the flowers, I see this as a token of appreciation. And if, uh, you know, our viewers would like us to continue our work, then I would like to point out that we need your donations. Also, Oval Media, the guys in charge of the tech support, and uh, are very grateful for any kind of help you can uh, lend. Anyway, thank you very much. I think this is it. Uh, do we have any final films, videos? We've gone, got one seven-minute video clip, I think, a German actor who thought differently than she thinks now, apparently, and she um, does a theatre clip telling us that she's not anti-vaxxer, but she has severely been damaged, harmed by the vaccination, and she knows that of others as well. Maybe this is one of the 40% who still or again are approachable. We'll look at that and after that, we're through. Yeah, uh, as always, uh, have a wonderful Thursday evening and a wonderful Easter weekend and see you next week. Bye. And Viviana will be back from Brazil. So, see you then. Have a nice long weekend. Bye. I'm not an anti-vaxxer. Because I'm grateful for the people who didn't die thanks to the vaccination. I'm not an anti-vaxxer because I got the vaccination because I had asthma and I was afraid of COVID. And they told me I would be protected and stay healthy. I believed it. And I shared this video, this moment, per video on Instagram, telling others, don't be afraid against the prick. I'm not an anti-vaxxer. After the day of my first vaccination, the hurt started and I got the um, spots on my face and the doctor said, it'll go away soon. I'm not an anti-vaxxer, even though it stayed for weeks, the pain got stronger, the symptoms got bigger and I couldn't understand. And no doctor took me seriously and I didn't know who to turn to. My doctor told me, well, the vaccination would be responsible 
but he can't go give me an official document for that. And I couldn't go anywhere because I was vaccinated only once and not two times. And I had no certificate. I'm not an anti-vaxxer. Although my earlier fear against corona was now uh, replaced by the fear of never being able to help be healthy again, to work again, in pretending as if I was healthy in all the castes, uh, to get my opportunity to stay in business because I, st I was silent for a long time. I'm not an anti-vaxxer, although I had to fight a lot for a medical certificate for every type of agreement. I paid thousands of euros for tests and therapies, and after 11 months, I'm still sick, and I only know that there are thousands who share my fate, who uh, have twitches, the joints inflame, who can't concentrate for a long time, who are allergic against many things, who have blood clots, who have can't can't sleep, who are uh, desired, who are fatigued, uh, they have burning eyes, they are dizzy. The positive auto antibodies that show that the body has autoimmune reactions to the body, who pay 13,000 euros for a blood washing as the only possible treatment that could help, and the health insurances who don't pay for that. I'm not an anti-vaxxer. Also, if Lauterbach and others tell us there is no side effects and not the ones I describe by all, they hit me in the face with that. It took many days that I didn't want to carry on with my life, and in the end, I decided to fight for the truth. I'm not an anti-vaxxer. Also, if I wished to have the solidarity would have called for us as well, those who are suffering from the side effects and who are pushed into nothingness now, that nobody wants to listen now because they would uh, strengthen the Nazis and destroy the narrative. I'm not an anti-vaxxer. Also, if I couldn't there be there for my mother, who lost her husband to cancer, and I wasn't—I didn't dare to tell her that I'm sick as well, and that the uh, in the burial would be too difficult for me to stand, and I had to leave her alone. I'm not an anti-vaxxer. Also, if I didn't take this step, hadn't taken the step, if one would have explained to me what could happen with my body, I'm not an anti-vaxxer. Also, if I um, can never uh, um, admit to the hate speeches of the politicians and uh, the families who didn't take me seriously, I'm not an anti-vaxxer. Also, if I can't understand how Paul Ehrlich Institute still does not send out any risk signal and thousands are writing to me that they have the same fate and they get more assassinations to psychiatry than medical help. I'm not an anti-vaxxer. Also, if nobody can be forced to get them vaccines or morally assessed and judged if they are not because it's a lie that there are no side effects and it is a lie that the state will take care of the few individual cases and be liable for the damage because no case hardly any case is accepted at the earliest after six months and if the money will not help to recover my destroyed life 
I'm not an anti-vaxxer. Also, think it is a shame that in Germany we applaud for the tech caretakers and allowed that for some are not allowed to work. Like for Nora, the favorite tech actor for my grandmother who gave so much when I and my family couldn't visit my grandma and who was thrown out now because she wanted to decide what happens to her body. Uh, who never uh, contaminated anybody other and somebody brought in the virus who was vaccinated later on. I'm not an anti-vaxxer. Also, if I'm thankful for the few courageous journalists who finally started to look at what's going on, who started to believe in us against the resistance of their colleagues, others from the colleagues from Monitor who first asked and then asked for uh, film four months earlier and never reported it and keep our hopelessness in prolonged and she's still shut up I'm not an anti-vaxxer. Also, if I have to take the fear of many people that uh, destroyed their lives by their vaccines, and I could support them, and I was happy to stay alive during this odyssey, and I pray for the ones who have even heavier fate than I, who have no relatives who take care of them, who don't have money for tests, who have no friends that do the shopping for them, no social media to network, no German and they can speak and who are made fun of by their doctors and sent home. It's always said that the uh, vaccination has to be a low trespassing levels. Does it do it with the vaccinations, anti-vaccines um, as well? I hear the uh, encouraging voice of many people who tell me every day, it's good that I'm here. Never forget how strong you are how strong I am. So if I hit the bars again and again that are moved bit by bit, one can see them, the world behind it and the dreams. And I dream that one day I can one day say to all of you, I am healthy again. You are going to be healthy as well. As well. We were recognized and we were compensated. Until that, I say, let's shout out that we believe in healing for all of them who can't shout out, who committed suicide in their desperation. And we fight for justice for all relatives who had a radical change in their life because they have to take care of their relatives. And we overcome the splitting and solidarize with everybody who have MFCS or COVID. And let's re oh, stay open for um, gratitude because the people didn't know any better or suffered from Corona. Yes, they left us alone, but we are still here. We are still breathing. We still love and we still are alive with the power to improve the world. We will become healthy. We will become healthy again. I'm not an anti-vaxxer. Also, if my truth can't be said without being censored on Instagram, or deleted.